Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, welcome to September. Shall we talk about what's coming up this month? Oh, let's do it. Yep, so if you'd like to back the podcast, support us financially, whether it's like £1 and join our little tip jar tier, or £4.50 to unlock two extra podcasts a month, patreon.com slash backpagepod. Here's what we're making this month. So uh, this is our first episode of September, what we've been playing. That's September 2nd. Uh, for September 9th, we've got uh, Splatoon 3 plus Nintendo's newer series. A bit of a spotlight on recent Nintendo attempts to make new things that so don't mm. involve Mario, uh, Link, or the like. Um, our Excel episode for patrons, best uh, 7 out of 10 games, Matthew, September 12th. Are you looking forward to that one? Yes, I am. Like, it feels like put money where your mouth is. We talk about this vague concept of 7 out of 10 all the time, and now we've got to actually, you know, try and clarify it. <laughs> Yeah, I think our listeners will like that because it will um, run the intersection of interesting games that aren't necessarily uh, sort of stellar. Funny thing is as well, I was shocked at how much of a consensus there is on what a 7 out of 10 game is because I found an old Alec Mir list on Rock Paper Shotgun from 2016 and that had about eight of the games on there that I would have put on my, on my list and I right. thought, I can't believe there's a consensus around this but um, uh, no, it should be some good stuff in there, that should be good. Um, September 16th we've got GTA Clones on trial um, so uh, that should be good trying to get a guest in for that one if we can make the timing work but yep we're going to run through from PS2 to present all of the different attempts to muscle in on GTA's turf of uh, open world nonsense and um, then uh, I think Judge Castle is going to uh, <laughs> is going to rule on whether they I don't know live or die we'll think of something that will happen to them get sent to the bargain bin can we fit the whole of Neversoft into one of those water tanks <laughs> That's the question. Oh, right. Is this a reference to gun, Matthew? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. So that should be be fun. We may need you to make the case for some of these as well. So that'll be an even stranger turn for the court of uh, (laughs) Judge Matthew Castle. Um, Yeah, so that's September 16th. Uh, September 23rd, uh, LucasArts Adventure Games Hall of Fame. I'm hoping to finally have Ashley Day on for that one, a guest we've discussed uh, many times, someone who used to work with me and Matthew knows quite well. So... Um, that is going to basically, uh, Matthew, we're going to try and slim down the LucasArts Adventure Games library to five representative games. You can only pick five. Is that the uh, the goal of that one? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's the plan. Go through everything and then and then chop it all down, really tighten it up and come up with yeah. five definitive classics. Yeah, and then uh, upset two or three people along the way, no doubt. Well, so the person we're most likely to upset is Ash, so by having him on, <laughs> like, we kind of negate that. It's a good way of, of kind of scanning our way through <laughs> that particular dilemma. Yeah, that should be good. And the XXL episode, Pop Culture Focused, is Star Wars actually good? <laughs> um, that would be a ranking of the Star Wars movies, uh, probably pr- primarily driven by me. That's September 26th, so that's another uh, Patreon-exclusive episode if you'd like to... Uh, back us the XL tier, £4.50, you'll get that. And finally, Games Court Not Again Edition on uh, September 30th. Um, Judge uh, Big Sammy will return uh, hungover <laughs> to um, decide whether more people live or die. So um, that sounds like a good month to you, Matthew. Sounds like a great month. We've got some good Game Court stuff. I've been keeping an eye on it. Um, lots of traditional entries, games and prices. If you're thinking <laughs> about submitting something, that's what we want. A game and a price. By all means, give us a bit of an anecdote. Give it a bit of colour, but you know the, the game should be at the heart of it, not not like <coughs> your character. I feel. Yeah, we've still got as well like so many entries backed up. I feel like we've got at least two episodes 
kind of backed up worth of entries at this point. So, yeah, yeah there's a lot uh, to get through. Um, some of these, they're before. getting into the realms of like, oh, I was thinking about buying Crash Bandicoot 2, and then while I was thinking about it, I hit a guy in my car. It was that <laughs> wrong. And you're like, that isn't what Games Court is for, I should say. It's not yeah. gaming-adjacent re- crime. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. pre-owned games you have bought. <laughs> Some are like entire autobiographies as well. Like, um, you know, the year is 1997, like June 7th. I, uh, I look at a boy being savagely kicked on the playground. Eight paragraphs later, I bought Croc for like eight quid <laughs> as a 35-year-old man. And it's like... What are we doing here, really? But um, yeah, well, uh, nonetheless, we'll, we appreciate the entries, so keep them coming in the old uh, Games Court submissions thing in the Discord, so that's good. So yeah, Matthew, that's the introduction, so patreon.com slash backpagepod, big sale done. Thanks for everyone's support so far in um, helping us make the Patreon. People seem to really like what we're creating, so we're grateful for the support. So, Matthew, this is what we've been playing. Why don't you kick off with uh, your first game? Uh, Well, I'm going to jump in with Saints Row, because I think we've both played a bit of this, right? Yeah, sadly. (laughs) (laughs) That's basically it, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I just just really hoped it would be better than the review said it was. So, Uh, yeah, yeah, I kind of came into this with probably a bit of, like, unfair bias in that I wanted it to be good, just to kind of, like there's been a, a slight move against this game because its characters are sort of younger and well there are a new cast of characters it's not the traditional characters and there is this sort of uh this sort of narrative around this that it's it's a bit hipster and it's a bit woke which obviously some unpleasant corners of the internet have jumped on and have been willing this game to be shit so that they could crow about the decline of these very things and these are not people who genuinely should win in life so i was sort of really wanted this to be good (laughs) just to kind of put those assholes in their place um i don't think it i don't think it is good but i also don't i don't think it's the absolute car crash that some reviews have have made it out to be you know i've i've heard some people sort of talk about this in the terms of like you know it's a total embarrassment where i think it is just a, a quite a crummy open world game no more no less i think what it lacks is an angle they've rebooted saints row obviously it got more sort of super heroic in its last entry it's been nine years since an original saints row game released that is a long long time getting rid of the players of president superhero stuff wacky stuff sci-fi to make it more grounded again i can see the logic in doing that but i think what it lacks is a modern angle or to either like the the premise of who you're playing as or the location you're in which is this um sort of like desert city that's maybe like cross between las vegas and uh los angeles is that fair to say matthew do you think yeah i think so i did wonder if there was a little bit of like uh, like breaking bad albuquerque in the mix as well it does have a little bit of that vibe about it to the story as well um in some some bits because it's kind of like hustle you know that if it has any angle at all it's kind of like young people hustling to kind of get a foot on some kind of criminal ladder that is pretty fucking vague (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i don't have a i don't have a particular problem with the characters like you say there was this weird backlash from the usual people who uh waste their their time and energy worrying about this stuff but the characters are are like no more offensive than the characters in you know say watchdogs 2 to me or you know any kind of recent attempts to make young people young modern people the center of something 
that I don't have a problem with. I think it is just I don't know what it's for as a game. Whereas I feel like I feel like Saints Row Three, the tone drove the game to a large extent, and there was this escalation as the game went on from like your classic Saints Row Two, you know, gangster nonsense up to oh, some sci-fi lads just turned up in some floating sort of like warships or whatever. Um, and right. meanwhile, there was this, you know, we'll have these like these characters singing together and all this kind of stuff. And I feel like there was this winning through line. The game just had an identity. But this, I don't quite get what the identity is. It's just sort of a load of open world stuff. And it's weird. I only, I've only played a couple of hours of it, so I wouldn't completely write it off. But it's just, it's a kind of by the numbers open world game, which is a bit strange in 2022. Just because yeah. there are so few of these games actually around these days, open world games in this old GTA style. That you almost expect them to be a, to have like a high concept attached to them, yeah. but this doesn't. It's just another Saints Row game, which is kind of weird, you know. Yeah, I, f- you know, I feel like they've obviously wanted to reboot it, but actually, if you look at Saints Row, like arguably each game is is like radically different from the last. Like they're actually the actual identity of the series is is very very hard to pin down. Like based on. A hazy memory. Like, I haven't gone back to a lot of these games. Like, I'd say it feels probably closer to Saints Row 2 in terms of, like, it has, uh, like, a little bit more, like, sort of silliness than 1, but it hasn't gone the kind of full, crazy kind of posturing of 3. And, like, by the time you get to 4, like, that, I would say, is actually, like, encroaching on, like, crackdown territory. You know, it's yeah. such, a, such a different game um, altogether. So... You know, it is a bit of a nightmare series to continue on or reset or return to because it, you know, for better or worse, has been lots of different things. Um, But I think I think you're right. Like there's just especially early on. And I'm the same as you. I've only I've only played a few hours of this. You know, the, the, the story missions seem like I would say perfectly sort of fine. Like there's there's a there's a little bit of character to them. They're sort of set pieces. They're a bit sillier. Like the you know the opening tutorial, you end up like stuck on the back of a of a Harrier jump jet shooting at people, and you're like, oh okay, this is a little bit Saints Row. But once you actually get dumped in the city, I feel like you you have to go looking a little bit too hard for fun, mm. which is uh, like that's just a big sort of like alarm bell for me in an open world game you know this uh, you know a sandbox should be you sort of set off a domino rally of chaos you know you shoot one person and that should set off the chain of events that's going to keep you busy for the next 10 minutes here like whether it's just those tools don't exist or they exist deeper in the story i i just i found it quite hard to make my own fun and that that was yeah. I mean, that's 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 why I sort of I sort of stopped playing after a couple of hours. I was like, ah, eh, you know, I'm not particularly feeling this. So, but I, I I will sort of temper that by saying like, you know, it doesn't like uh, like offend me or anger me as it seems yeah. to have some reviewers. Um, yeah, it's yeah. just like eh. You know, and at the same time, like, you know, because I saw, I saw some reviews saying, like, it's just not up to Rockstar standards. And that's that I don't think is a particularly fair criticism because I don't think, like, really anyone can match them in terms of, like, team size and budget. Like, that is a preposterous aim, but it, it doesn't have, yeah, like, ga- the gameplay lacks character, I guess, is the thing. The gameplay lacks character, and the city looks nice. Um, I drove around the whole thing and I was like, well, this does actually feel like a real city. and 
in like mm. the way it's lit and how um it's been modeled it does you know the bits that look like los angeles really feel like los angeles and the bits that are more vegasy are you know certainly colorful and nice to look at but it's, it's true it doesn't feel like a massively reactive world you know what i mean mm. um but i do think that personality or through line or angle on the open world game is what used to define these games to a large extent like when you think about you know how vice city was this is the 80s game you know this is like this yeah. is what the game is it drives the tone of the game it drives what the city looks like how it feels then you can even look at the clones that followed as we'll discuss in a future episode like you know true crime was like we're the game that's got the Max Payne slow-mo layered on top of the the sort of open world stuff, which, you know, mm. wasn't as good as GTA, of course, but they had their own angle on it too. And then you look at the getaway, which is like, we're the London open world game. It's really London. That's the, <laughs> That was their angle. And so all of these games are up to Watch Dogs, where it's like, you know, the hacking is the thing, or like the idea of being part of this secret society that's trying to bring down some kind of authority, you know, authoritative force. Yeah. There is always an angle. There was always an anger. There was an always a, there was always an intent behind the different environments they picked for the Watch Dogs games. You know what I mean? Like yeah. London felt very different to San Francisco, and felt very different to Chicago, which felt deliberately sort of cold and real. And I just don't sense that overall intent here. That overall feeling of well, this is what we've made. This is what the game is. And like instead, it just feels like you know little bits of the camaraderie of Saints Row. I, I, I remember from before. And in this like quite this pretty but quite flat feeling open world that just doesn't have like you say makes you work a bit too hard to to have fun, mm-hmm. um, and so it's kind of a shame because I think there absolutely is room for lower budget like GTA alternatives, but oh, yeah. it almost feels like a slight waste that they had their shot at making one and then just didn't have a really strong hook for what their what a viable alternative looks like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you almost miss the slightly obnoxious guiding hand of, like, THQ <laughs> is, <laughs> is, like, missing in a way. You know, it's it, it just feels like a thing that was, like, left to its own devices and hasn't really gone anywhere. Um, yeah. You yeah, miss Danny sort of, Bilson. Because like, like, I've, I've bounced off some of Saints Row, some stuff which people have really liked in the past rubbed me up the wrong way because i found it like it's it's so obnoxious and like like if it tips into charming i I think you fall deeply in love with these worlds if it doesn't you're just like oh man this is just like a load of like yahoos this just isn't for me um (laughs) and but this just doesn't even come anywhere near any of that like there's just yeah it's it's not even like particularly annoying you know it's just yeah, just sort, just sort of there. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it's sad. Yeah. It's 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 disappointing. Like this team used to be very productive and has made some really really like great eight out of tens. And it's like a space which is so like you say, this is such a drought of like this particular like level of game making, and mm. to see it kind of like what should be quite a sort of key game in that kind of middle ground, slightly fluff it is. I don't know. It just bums me out. But at the same time, like, you know, the people on Twitter who are just showing you gifs of this game becoming extremely broken, like, that doesn't reflect my my technical experience with it. And a little part of me, you know, kind of, like, riles, gets riled by that. Because it's like, well, it's just not true. You know, this game has its problems, but it's it's forced to present it as this just, like, gross technical negligence. Because I don't think that is true. (laughs) 
Oh uh, yeah, I refer you know refer us both to Nathan Brown coming on the podcast and saying I will never criticize an open world dev- game right. developer for having a bug in their game because yes, a big game like that is really fucking hard to test and you know yeah. sharpen up. So that I don't hold it against it. It's like I don't. I'm not offended by it i just wish i was up for it more yeah that's how i feel like i'm not that's where the disappointment comes from i don't think there's any any one part of it that's bad it's just all of it's just okay and yeah. so collectively it just doesn't add up to something that i'm excited about playing which i don't know it actually had got me to reinstall to install the um saints row 3 remake they did a couple of years ago right so i thought that might just be more what i fancy maybe that'll just scratch the same itch um mm. that felt very coherent as an open world experience in terms of like tone and just it was just the right spot between them um, fun and silliness i also wish the shooting was a bit better in this matthew as well the shooting's a little bit like just rat-a-tat standstill yeah. kind of thing you know but yeah um, it's, it's, it's all a bit it's all a bit spongy and but i think i think that was sort of true of the old games but you didn't really yeah. care as much just because there was so much like so much distracting you from the slightly spongy core where in here it just doesn't have that that like extra layer of zaniness or weirdness to distract you so it's it's just all a bit more kind of like out there you know under the kind of harsh spotlight yeah it's also like it's not that woke either it's like if you want to design a character who's naked and runs around with like bare breasts out you can do that that's they'll let you do that this quite immature in that sense still. yeah so it's yeah that's a, a real i don't know why people took that angle it's really annoying that they did because like you say yeah. it feels bad to like it feels almost rough to criticize the game for other stuff i i must admit i don't really know what the dynamic of the central four they just seem to be flatmates that sort of do crimes together uh, <laughs> yeah. and but it's really vague it's like really vague in a, in a slightly unsatisfying way um, like you have yeah. a completely separate job. Like it starts off, you're working for this sort of like private military company, which seems to be like your your whole deal. But then you are just one of this quartet of like weirdos, and you're like, how do these people gel? How do they like work together exactly? But I don't know. Maybe all will be revealed uh, if you play it. Apparently, not massively long. Apparently, like you know, sub twenty hours campaign. Just not sure. I've got the time for it. No, you know? it's... That's, I think I might already be done with it. You know. That's... Yeah. Yeah. God well. bless the Epic Games account. Uh, the Epic Press account. <laughs> <laughs> it was useful in this case because I did want to talk about it, but I, w- I must admit, if I had paid fifty quid for it, I'd be a little bit disappointed. So, <laughs> yeah, that's my that's my read. Um, <laughs> okay, Matthew, uh, should we move on to the next game? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I've been playing Arcade Paradise mm. on Steam. Now, I think this is available on all formats, including Nintendo Switch. It's about fifteen quid. Do you know this game, Matthew? I I've been reading up about it. Because it sounds amazing, and I've seen some people getting really excited for it. So when I saw you were going to talk about it, I thought, oh, this will be good. This will be my chance to decide whether I'm going to get it or not. Yeah, so I think for the reasons you might think it's amazing, it's just okay. Oh, okay. Which is to say, <laughs> like, the fact... Okay, let's start with the premise of the game. You are this ne'er-do-well 19-year-old called Ashley, and your dad, um, who, does, who thinks you're uh, a bit of a waster... Wants you to go and run his very rundown laundrette in this city that I think is maybe a riff on Detroit or Chicago. Can't really tell. And so, in first person, you go to this um, this laundrette each day and you run it um, like a laundrette. You put the washing in the machines, you take it out, put it in the dryer, all that stuff. Um, and there's like a scoring system for doing that. Um, but the um, the the whole thing is that uh, Ashley has the 
desire to build secretly build up an arcade that's at the back of the laundrette there's a few machines in there but it's very run down but he sees potential of oh well we can turn this um community laundrette into something much better much more exciting and he's a like a massive games games fan so he wants to make that happen so what it amounts to is this uh, first person management simulator kind of game where you're sort of balancing the time of each day of how how you kind of like when you put the washing in um when you pick up rubbish and chuck that in the bin and the whole thing is that as ashley's doing that you as a player see each task he does as a kind of arcadey game so like there's a visual effect on screen when you're like chucking the rubbish in the bin just to get it accurate and stuff like that right. there's a little power meter that comes up when you're pulling gum off of a surface that's almost <laughs> stuck there that sort of thing and you're slowly making enough money to um, buy more arcade machines and expand the little arcade thing at the out the back and so um i believe there's uh, the, the kind of like the big novelty thing here and i'm assuming this is why you're excited by it matthew is that uh, there are over 30 arcade machines, and they are actual games that you play inside the game. Mm. Um, and most of them are riffs on old old arcade games, everything from Atari to... Sorry, Atari. Uh, <laughs> my brain shorted out then. Everything from Pac-Man to, like, Missile Command and um, a whole bunch of other stuff. There's absolutely tons of their air hockey, you know, like... Um, if you like an old, old arcade game, it's, it's probably represented here in some form. But um, I was curious, Matthew, which part of the game sort of captured your imagination? Yeah, so it was the talk of there are all these machines which are sort of parodies of sort of classic games but are like fully functional with like cheats and like the the weird sort of uh, sort of arcade machine behaviour to kind of probe, which I, I saw people saying that they were very, you know, they, they really simulated the kind of complexities of arcade machines married to uh, a kind of, yeah, a sim element which sounded like it fit into the kind of maybe the more like zen sim traditions of like your power wash simulator or your lawn mowing simulator you know it's not like a technical management game it's like a a chores game and i just thought oh that sounds like a a relaxing game married to an interesting selection of of arcade games like like, my big doubt was like (coughs) all all those arcade games could just be a little old shit and (laughs) then this whole thing would fall apart um, but people seem to vouch for them in the reviews. I mean, does that reflect what it is? Or um, they're not a load of old shit. They're like they're highly variable, and I would say that like most of them, you would play once and be like, "Oh, that's enough of that," you know. Um, but they have like created art for all of these different games and put legit effort into the presentation generally of how the machines look when you're exploring that 3D space and. Each time you get a new machine delivered to the laundrette, it turns it into a real event because you go to work the next day and this lorry turns up and chucks it outside and then it's like, oh, wow, it's here. Um, and so you're slowly kind of building up. And um, what's, what I like about the early game dynamic, and I understand this changes as you upgrade things, is that you kind of you go and have a go on the arcade machine, but then your watch goes off and it's like, time to empty the dryer, time to like, um, you know, take the washing out, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool because it's like, it's like what it would be like if you were actually working in this place and you had arcade machines. It's like right. you can play this for a couple of minutes, but then you've got to go do something. Um, and I really like the way it kind of simulates that that quality to it. Oh, okay. um, and so, yeah, some of, the, some of the games are better than others. I'd say like most of them, though, most of them I've played so far, and I'm only a few hours into the game, I think I like just okay. Um, but, like, yeah, it is, it is a really cool combination of things. Like, there's... There's no one standout part to the game, I'd say, but it's like right. the ge- the delicate combination 
of the simulation elements and the arcade games. Like, they support each other and it works well because there's not one part of the game that it's ever, like, truly dependent on, so it kind of flicks between them. I see. Um, and, uh, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, um, kind of, that's, that's interesting because, like, I, I definitely... Um, the, the thing I was, I, was, I was racking my brains for what it reminded me of when I heard about all the games was, like, I really liked the experience of playing, like, the retro stuff when they did Rare Replay. And mm. I wondered if, like, oh, it's like a like a narrative experience built around like a similar, uh, yeah, a similar experience of like unlocking new games and finding new games and playing these games and maybe discovering some you liked and some you didn't like, but with this kind of chilled laundrette sort of element to it as well. But uh, I didn't realize it kind of tore you away from the games like that. Um, well, you can you can just ignore your duties if you want to play a game all day. That's fine. Like The game only punishes you in the sense that you won't make as much money that day and right. you know, you'll know you get like a low rating for your, the quality of your laundry um, <laughs> because you took too long to take it out of the dryer or whatever. And so there's no consequence. If you do want to just keep playing them, you can do that. And some of them actually have like continuous elements to them. Like you, It's like one that's kind of like a micro-adventure game that I was playing and that sort of thing. Um there's also an element where uh, a more popular arcade machine can be placed next to a less popular arcade machine to generate more money. You can adjust the difficulty of the machines. You can adjust how much it costs to use the machines to kind of make the profitability go up or down. Oh. There's a really nice ritual element to you go up to like the uh, the little kind of coin thing at the bottom and empty it out. That feels really good when you take the money out of there and deposit it and stuff. <laughs> so. Um, there's all these like nice little ritual elements to it. Mm. Each day in it is just very satisfying. And like, I must admit, there's I like I, I, the laundry elements. Like the laundry elements, quite good as well. But you get in, <laughs> and each morning I'm like, right, I'm going to clean up. I'm going to find every garbage that's been left around here since last night. Got burger boxes, pizza boxes, newspapers, leftover socks. Chuck those all out. Good. Then the game rewards you, gives you a bit of money for chucking out your garbage. Don't know how that works exactly, but in terms of real life economy. But um, and then you're like, right, okay, we got got our first set of laundry. Let's pop that in. Yeah, pop that in. Go deposit the money in the safe. Look at what I can buy. See if I can buy a new arcade machine. See if I can like knock out a back wall and expand the arcade at the back and that sort of thing. Um, there are like, NPCs who are like in the. Uh, the laundrette with you which makes it feel a bit more like a real space they're not like massively expressive or anything they're kind of just like they just sort of stand around but <laughs> it makes it feel real you hear the ding dong as the door opens like every single um hour of the day really really good um and i find that ritual just really satisfying so even if the arcade games like aren't primarily the draw for this for me i think the it really works as a combination of stuff and it's only like 15 quid or something i think mm. it's like a really cool little thing for what it is. Mm. Um, oh, it's that's, the, uh, that's yeah. That's kind of why why I hope to hear. Um, yeah. Can you push it the other way? Can you expand the laundrette and sell the arcade machines? <laughs> no, I don't think you can. Uh, like um, the uh, funny thing is, because you have this ongoing sort of tension with your father in it, who, by the way, is played by um, Doug Cockle, I think the uh, Geralt of Rivia, oh. which the game goes to like massive pains to tell you he <laughs> is played by him. Um, and I kind of rolled my eyes at that, but fine. Well, like how do you say like it's me, your dad, Doug Cockle? No, he goes. He goes like, oh, back in the day they called me Gerald of Riviera or something, oh, and I was like, no. oh Jesus. <laughs> but, <laughs> but everything else about the game, I, I really like. It's um, it's like it's like it's like a really really good seven out of ten. You know, like it's I, I actually like of all the games I've played the um 
for this episode. Like I've just been like noodling around with this eight three hours of my time, like no oh, problem. Okay. And I've had a paid. Fee, I got it. For, I got a free code from a, a friend of a friend um, at a publisher. Uh, full disclosure, but I really like it. It's really cool, and it's a great cool. Steam Deck game as well. Um, and like the the vibe of the place is just spot on. Like the laundrette feels like a distinct space, and then the um, the arcade bit itself feels like a distinct space. And like there's loads of good. It feels like it's like the '90s or the noughties or something. The the technology in there reflects it. Like you've got like a a PDA with you and that sort of thing and mm. the computer is like an old grey box windows pc so really kind of inventive cool little game i love that it's a first person game that's like a sim like i think that's much better than managing it all from like a bird's eye view or something you know mm. so it's cool matthew it's a cool game i like this very good it, yeah yeah it has slight echoes of a um i knock <laughs> The the, the 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 sim and laundry elements very different, but there was quite a good game on DS called Retro Game Challenge, which was based on that Game Center CX show with that Japanese guy who plays all the rock hard NES games, and it was about a kid playing like fake Famicom games with his mate in his bedroom, and they were just there, you know, they'd made these clones of like Galaga or whatever that you'd play, and then. Um, but you'd get, like, games magazines, which would have, like, hints of, like, secret things you could do in the games, which would help you, like, win the next time you played, you know, like Games Mags did. It would say, like, if you shoot the red bug and then the blue bug, that, like, triples your points or whatever. So you had to read these games mags to kind of get better at the games. And I would kind of hoped that there was a, a sort of an element of that kind of sort of simulating the kind of arcade experience. It, maybe there is, but I've just not gone deep enough into it to get right. that because I've only got like, I think eight machines, and there's like more than thirty in the game. So, you know, I've only seen a little bit of it, okay. but I'm definitely going to keep playing it. Ooh. Like, I find it a very comforting play. Um, I do like the idea. There's no pressure to like do something in, in one day. If you do, can't be bothered to do laundry, and you do just want to play games. That's pretty cool. You'll kill, still keep ambiently making money. It's where you leave but the arcade all, all and elements. find your dad in the Geralt Rivia bathtub. <laughs> Hello, Very son. Disturbing. And you're like, oh, <laughs> this is a cursed is... reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping just the one reference is uh, all they're going to like force upon me as a player. But 15 quid, just the right, exactly the right price or something like this. I do wonder if they played what you, um, the game you mentioned, the retro, retro Game Challenge, you say it was called? Yeah, so it's, I think it was called something like that. Retro Game Arcade or Retro Game Challenge, yeah. Yeah, so no, this is, this is cool. This mm. is like, yeah, this... Probably won't make my game of the year list, but we'll definitely get into the honorable mentions. Wow. It's, um, it's decent. Yeah, I think it's just cool. It's just exactly what I needed. The right. It's got good vibes. This game. Good. It's vibes. good vibes. You know, when you don't want to explain what you mean properly. You good vibes. <laughs> All the time. Just... That's like ninety <laughs> percent of what I say on this podcast. Is <laughs> that, that something has vibes, and then I let the listeners figure it out, <laughs> and they good, go and then. spend thirty quid on it in CEX. <laughs> <laughs> and go fuck the vibes, and I'm like, well, I only said add vibes, you know. Yeah, that's on you. So many ill-advised DS purchases <laughs> made as a result of that uh, mentality. Um, no, good stuff, Matthew. So, what's uh, what's your second game? Uh, I've been playing As Dusk Falls, which is on Game Pass, both Xbox and PC. This is made by a studio called Interior Night, uh, headed up by an ex Quantic Dream person who worked on, I want to say Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls, and uh, she's called Caroline Marshall, and now she's creative director at this studio. And this is like, are you aware of this one at all? Yeah, I was, and like, um, it's got this kind of, uh, it's like 
almost motion comic art style or something, you know? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a sort of Quantic Dream-esque choices, consequences, interactive narrative, except, yes, rendered with sort of static character art that animates between sort of frames. So somewhere between, like, a, if you built a game out of, like, Max Payne's comic book scenes and, like, animated them a bit more, it might look a bit like this. Or, if you listen to our best TV shows, you've ever watched Tom Goes to the Mayor, uh, <laughs> which has got a photo, which has got basically lots of images of, of Tim and Eric photoshopped and filtered. <laughs> it's very similar to that, which made me laugh. I imagine it's a very cost-effective way of making a game with a lot of branching paths because you have static images of your actors, you aren't rendering them as complicated 3D models, you're not having to animate all their actions. That's really like a huge benefit to the story they're telling because it, it feels like just sort of economically they can have a lot more variations going on without breaking the bank, which I imagine they, they couldn't have when you're making these things with incredible photorealistic graphics. So it seems smart from a a smaller studio tackling this kind of material um i also wonder if in the long run it will seem smart from a like a more timeless artistic perspective like one of the big problems i have with quantic dream games is that they often look phenomenal at the time but when you go back to them they look fucking bizarro because they've got all these uncanny valley characters like heavy rain which was once as cutting edge as they could come 3d models wise i'd say now looks kind of kind of unnerving and bad where I think this will probably never look as cutting edge, but will always be fine. So that that's that's what I have to say on the interesting art style. Narratively, it's very very similar to a Quantic Dream game. Like this is this is clearly someone who has come from that that studio with its storytelling traditions. Like it's uh, a lot smaller in scale because it's about basically two families that collide with one another a, a family who are driving cross-country uh, so the husband can take a new job and a, a family of sort of petty criminals who've stolen something from a local police chief and they basically all end up in this motel in a hostage situation but it's actually again uh, i would say a, a very smart move because it's like this sort of tinderbox there's all these personalities clashing in there it's feels sort of intense in quite an organic and believable way i mean it's clearly a preposterous piece of thriller writing but it isn't having to jump through like mad hoops to engineer constant situations you know a lot can go wrong when there are police outside and a load of aggressive people inside with hostages and i think it mines that situation um a lot more kind of deeply and realistically than a david cage story would like i haven't quite finished it i'll say and and the story definitely does go to places but i don't want to sort of spoil that but it doesn't go to preposterous places it plays within the 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 rules of like reality of of like thriller filmmaking i i sort of think this kind of storytelling is a bit of a dead end like i don't think they sort of particularly tell us much about ourselves like i think they put you in lots of situations where you only have like a fraction of the information and you're trying to kind of make sort of half half our sort of guesses based on that on what the right thing is to do and that has a kind of panicked energy to it but you know i i i personally prefer my moral dilemmas to come in a space where you can kind of like 
investigate the whole scenario and then work out, you know, have a bit of time to think it through. You know, kind of, I think Bioware do a better job of that, say, where they kind of give you, like, here are all the things, you know, here's kind of what we're playing with. This is a little bit like, press A, press B, press C. And, you know, the idea that, like, at the end of the level, it sort of says what kind of person you are. It does this, like, personality test. But I don't think it really tells you anything. You're just pressing buttons to see what happens, really. So that's why I think it's a bit of a narrative dead end. But that said, saying that... It's still, like, it's pretty diverting, like, uh, I don't know, I've played it for, like, four hours so far, I think about two-thirds through it. Um, it's quite fast-moving, like, it asks you to decide something probably every 30 seconds or so. There's no, like, movement in it, it's it's just selecting choices, pretty much, so it, it doesn't have the sort of slower sections where some Telltale games, like, pretend to be point-and-click games, but actually kind of come <laughs> apart. It doesn't have the kind of, like, say, the wild bizarre excesses of david cage and just the silly unlikely bits it's just you know quite quite sort of hackneyed cops and robbers stuff but i'll actually take it you know yeah yeah it's because it's a sat on game pass it does make me think i should just give it a go and i probably will but um also i think it's probably about to be eclipsed by immortality on there as well this week so yeah I feel like in my interactive narrative box will probably be ticked by that this year not that they're competing but, <laughs> yeah i imagine um, i think my, there'll in, be very yeah. different games <laughs> Yeah, but in terms of my headspace, they're probably I'll probably only need one to for my year. You know what I mean? So yeah, um, I, I feel like the um, the approach to maybe telling more than showing in terms of how the art style works is maybe where it's slightly been slightly divisive with some reviewers because for some people I think the storytelling really landed, and then for other people not so much. And mm. I couldn't tell how much of that was down to the presentation, Matthew, versus like the the writing or the construction of the story, but. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. I, yeah. It's. I, I read a few reviews to sort of see what people's like major beef with it was, and and they were sort of saying that it kind of, like, whenever it tries to do action, it 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 looks a bit sloppy, you know. Like it's an art style that kind of serves like facial expressions because it's just a photo of an actor that they've you know sort of painted over the top, so it mm. can kind of capture sort of like human emotions and like human behaviors in in you know quite a subtle way but like when it all kicks off it falls apart but i actually felt i like considering i read those reviews before playing it i was i was surprised at um like how sort of with it i was in terms of you know lots of stuff kicks off and you you don't think oh this is cost cutting you don't think oh well i didn't think oh i, I would rather be seeing these 3d models perform all these moves as you would, you know, a bigger budget Quantic Dream game. I was mm. like, yeah, it's it's conveying all the information it needs to. Um, yeah, I, like I, I thought it was quite an elegant way of doing it. I mean, like one of the one of the beefs I have with the whole kind of photorealistic motion capture thing that David Cage does is his whole talk about like you know we're just trying to kind of close the gap between what a physical human actor can do and you know, what the character in the game can do. Where actually, you know, the art of animation, the classic, over a hundred year old art of animation is all about trying to kind of convey motion and human emotions and capture like bigger ideas in a in a more abstract form. Like it is a, it is an art form in itself, which I've always felt like he very clumsily doesn't understand. And in a way this is much closer to that. This is trying to kind of convey something in a kind of slightly like middle ground, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. You Plus, know? you are like someone who has played visual novel games where 
they don't have any more animations than this has, right? That's like the whole yeah. point of them in some ways, you know. But like what what you can achieve with a sound cue or an edit or a, an angle or a sudden like even a text bleep. Like I I just I feel like Cage is not to make this all about Cage, but I feel like Cage's obsession with technology and the cutting edge just basically like ignores so many disciplines that make things come alive in 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 this particular form you know like fundamentally i think games have more in common with animation than they do live action filmmaking uh Mm -hmm. in terms of like you are you are representing something on screen and you know while i love it and I, i know there's craft in it i'm not saying there isn't you know it's absolutely amazing what quantic dream have done naughty dog have done bringing these characters to life I just don't... I think it's, like, really crude to think if it isn't, a, like, a, a real-life human being powering the performance, it can't, like, convey a, a, a genuine human idea. I think that's fucking dumb. I think it's just the dumbest thing. Um, and this is a, a game that's freed from that thinking, so more power to it. Yeah, I think even in Naughty Dog's case, I don't know if this is the case for the PS4 ones, but certainly the PS3 ones with Uncharted, they... Um, they would use basically the the motion capture as a base, but then uh, artists would handcraft the expressions on top of that, so mm. they weren't completely beholden to what the faces were doing. So, yeah. you know that 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 artistry does still exist in um, in motion capture form sometimes. So, mm. yeah. Um, but okay, well, I I may or may not play this, and if it's yeah, short, that's like, kind of appealing. That's uh, yeah. The thing I haven't tried. Apparently, you can it, a bit like uh, the the newer. Uh, super is it super massive who do the the the, the, the horror quarry. yeah that's things like that you, you like those games this also has like eight people can play on their mobile phones like making oh, right. decisions so i think you know as a group you could gather on a sofa and basically put these people through hell if you wanted um right. and i'd be intrigued to see how that like would unfold or whether it's satisfying because I, I i would definitely the the best experience i had with the fuck was it called until until dawn yeah um was when i was playing with my family on the couch behind me kind of offering their thoughts on what i should do and uh, it, it it did actually bring that game to life a little bit so maybe i should try try that mechanic here as well okay cool maybe i'll have a run where i just try try and make as many shitty decisions as i can in a row and see what happens to the people so uh <laughs> that could be something i do in my sort of like uh, speed run it um okay good well that is technically an xbox exclusive that was published this year isn't it because that's i think they funded that so there um... was one there was one <laughs> there'll also be uh pentiment but i think that is it so yeah. well, that's just what all the freaking gears of war fan wants a photo of like a skinny <laughs> skinny hillbilly boy looking sad at like vending machines a lot in a, <laughs> in a graphic adventure not uh, <laughs> okay very good matthew so my next one is um symphony of war the nephilim saga are you aware of this game is this the thing which is something to do with or maybe fire emblem adjacent yeah so this is um basically like a, a fire emblem riff for pc so i suppose like in a similar way to the, how the game um, Wargroove was a bit like Advanced Warsy. This is kind of like an indie developer's take on, yeah, on the the Fire Emblem formula with these visuals that look somewhere between like SNES and a, a little bit RPG Maker. That's not a point of criticism, but um, some bits of the game look better than others. And um, the whole thing with the Fire Emblem, of course, is it's a Nintendo exclusive series. There aren't really many 
like clones or alternatives to it on PC, but this is one that kind of tries to have the relationship building element alongside the turn-based strategy. Uh, sorry, turn-based um, yeah RPG strategy combat, however you want to sort of put that. Mm. Um, so this yeah this, this kind of does something similar. It's a story set with these um, three warring kingdoms, and then you kind of basically put these different characters, place them onto a map. And then move across the map, um, completing different objectives, side objectives to unlock more money that you can um, and resources that you can then invest in um, building your uh, your team up. You can you know buy more units to add to your little various little squads. Um, you have characters who um, can live or die. You can put permadeath on if you want, and you try and like um, knock through these different missions and these different objectives. And I think it's like a really really good riff on on this. But I say that as someone who really should have played more Fire Emblem games than he actually has. <laughs> so it does feel like a low-key betrayal to be playing like the kind of like, not the clone, but, you know, certainly um, <laughs> certainly the riff on these games rather than the games themselves, which I do own and have owned for years. So that's a <laughs> fundamental failure on my part. Um, feels like vandalism in some way. But I think this is really good. Like, the writing's pretty decent. Like, the characters are quite well-drawn. Um I think like it, the game looks at its best when you're watching the combat sequences. I think that overall the combat map and visuals and stuff looks good. The character portraits don't look as nice. That's where you really see the sort of scenes on it. Um, Any thirst traps kind of, in there? Definitely. Definitely. Okay. It does that thing of like all the characters are vaguely 20s, so oh, everyone yeah. can be a bit horny about the characters, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what happened, And that's kind of what happens. But then also there's a, a few older uh, fitties thrown in there for good measure to oh, just you know if that's what you're into fine like that sort of stuff like it's all <laughs> yep the horniness is well represented matthew um but i just think it's a really strong alternative i got onto it because um i saw uh pc gamers evan lati tweeting about how good this was he played a little bit on steam deck and it is a great fit for steam deck of course like the pixelati style looks great on there Ooh. um and at the same time it's like it's got massive upswell of like a vote it's got like more than three thousand reviews on steam which suggests it's properly broken through and people have actually found it which is cool it's from freedom games a publisher i'm not really that familiar with but a lot of the stuff they make is a bit bit snazzy bit kind of like 2d pixelati mm. um oh, this is really cool i think like if you don't have a switch and you want to play a fire emblem like game it's like 15 quid this so i think it's um it's decent i'm, I'm like about three to four hours in and i've just found it really compelling mm. um so yeah if you if you kind of like i guess like if you're waiting for a new fire emblem this might be a good alternative but i would i would probably i would only really play this on steam deck i wouldn't play this sat at a desktop you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. but I, feel, I sort of feel that way about fire emblem proper now you know i just it's it's become a handheld game because like the majority of the best ones were on handheld and it, it's not like it just doesn't fill the tv particularly well you know like what it's doing mm. you know it isn't particularly flashy it's a bit more kind of like sort of cerebral and plays out in your head a little bit more so i think it's better suited to devices which have some handheld element to them for sure yeah i think it's got like this got 80 plus on metacritic and mm. i can see i can see why i just um, this doesn't, as you might expect with the Steam Deck 2, it doesn't drain the battery too fast, so it's not like you you can only play it for an hour or whatever. It looks very simple, so it you know it's it's pretty steady on there. Um, yeah, just I, I can't believe this is as good as it is for what <laughs> for what it is do essentially. You, but yeah, do you let your people die, or are you mm. a resetter on death? Uh, I turned off permadeath oh, from the start. Right. 
How do you play the Fire Emblem games, Matthew? Oh, I believe that permadeath is is the way forward. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know. It gives it all a, a sort of dramatic charge, but it is it is tough. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, you know, there's 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 no wrong or right way, but I, you know, in, in the same way that with like immersive sims, you know, the lines always like, well, if it goes wrong, you know, the real fun of this game is like trying to deal with it, and I'm just like quick load <laughs> every time, you know. Yeah, it's same. like I know that you've worked really hard on having these reactive features, which are designed to like scrabble out of danger and come up with like mad you know uh, emergent escape sequences but um also that's not for me um in the the old fire embers you you didn't really have a choice so you just had to sort of engage with with permadeath and 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 like live with it and i don't know maybe that's uh i I try my best i guess my hesitancy my, my hesitancy here is that i don't you know obviously nintendo games are nintendo games like they I kind of like expect a certain level of like, you know, a sort of standard of uh, difficulty, I guess, in terms of how a permadeath game might be calibrated, mm. um, or intelligent software rather. But um, here, because I don't know the developers that well, it does seem to have like these quite big spikes in difficulty, and so I think that permadeath would feel really unfair if like you sent one unit charging into another unit, you didn't realize just how overpowered you were till that unit was dead. Um, right, and that's where, like, I think I would just—I'd be a bit like, ah, uh, I quite like Jules, the the uh, sort of like a dude in my party. He seems like a pretty cool, cool guy. We're sort of pals now outside of the um, outside of the battlefield, and so when he just gets absolutely ripped apart by archers, I'm just like, well, I didn't have any idea those archers would be that powerful, and right. I'm still learning the game, so I just. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to have it on for that level of risk. Basically, yeah. I'm sort of fine for a low risk playthrough. But um, yeah, I would maybe that's something I would do on a replay. But I'm a bit. I'm a bit of a coward, to be honest. That's uh, I just can't bear to be to lose and to be told that I'm a loser. So that's all it is, Matthew. <laughs> I just can't um, be. A f- I just can't. I can't bury any more hotties. Uh, <laughs> I just can't it. bring that's myself to do it. <laughs> just a graveyard of waifus. Yeah. Just like... <laughs> oh dear. Um, so what's your next one, Matthew? Um, it is a, a little bit on Splatoon 3. I, I won't go massively into this because obviously in, in our next episode we're going to talk um, a bit more about Splatoon 3. Um, I will, I think, will we be out after the game or on the day? I think like around the same time. Yeah, certainly. Well, uh, yeah I'll, have, I'll, have, I'll have played more of the game proper hopefully by then. Um, but I did go to a preview event and play early versions of this. Um, I played some of the single player campaign, which was, which was fine. Um, I, I don't know how familiar you are with the single player in this, but in the the first two games, it's kind of like a, I would say like a glorified obstacle course. Um, I've seen some people like try and upsell Splatoon single player levels as being Mario Galaxy esque, in that they are like abstract land masses floating in space that sounds like bullshit matthew i'm gonna be honest (laughs) i mean like visually it's sort of true in that you're there and like the way you fly between the land masses you have these sort of like um, ink can things that fire you out that look very like the sling stars that fire you between the the planetoids and galaxy but 
like really what you're doing on them doesn't change that dramatically from from planetoid to planetoid and every level is is clearly designed to kind of teach you you know a particular weapon class or a particular move or or a particular piece of level furniture so the idea that it ever properly takes off into galaxy territory i I think is is sort of horseshit um and I'd hoped this one was gonna like maybe evolve it a little bit more, but it it hasn't. But it's 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 fine from what I've seen. Like the 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 levels that we played and the levels they showed off in the Nintendo Direct were, um, you know, had had certainly had some stuff going for them. They won't be boring, um, but it's it feel it just feels like a world that's on the cusp of doing something more because it has this sort of surprisingly deep lore to it in terms of like the, the the war between the different kind of the squids and the octopuses and the kind of history of this world um like it, 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 there's like a surprising number of lore dumps hidden in the campaign but they they just exist as sort of story between the levels rather than you know one day we're going to play a game which is like a narrative adventure set in the Splatoon universe, which I actually think it could sustain and would be interesting. Um, I, 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 a part of me wonders if it's actually something to do with, um, like, logistically, if the level, due to the graphics style of the game, um, the levels can only be a certain size. Because the hub, which is like the biggest level, runs at 30 frames compared to the rest of the game, which runs at 60. And I just mm. wonder if they cannot push it much further beyond what the, the single player like tutorial missions are. But I don't know. That's I'm pulling that completely out of my ass. But that's my theory. Um, mm. So, yeah, I'd play it's It's like it's quite a weird game for Nintendo. And we definitely get into this when we talk more about the game next week. But it's probably like the straightest sequel they do in terms of like it doesn't really have like a gimmick you know it's not like splatoon 3 colon the kind of crazy ink wars so it's not like there's nothing pushing the mechanics beyond you know one or two like it's arguably the same game it always was it's got a couple of new weapons a couple of very small moveset tweaks which the hardcore will tell you are going to revolutionize certain things but i think for the average player you wouldn't necessarily notice they'd happened so actually like writing and talking about this game and rating this game is a bit of a nightmare because you know it's just more of a thing you love and is that like good enough i don't know like i don't tend to review iterative sport game, sports games yeah mm. I, I almost sort of wonder if you know that you have to use the sort of same language as, as those kind of reviews you know is this actually you know nintendo's fifa you know and if so does it kind of like move the needle enough to kind of warrant celebration it's a tricky one. Yeah, it's um, it's a weird one in the sense that I I own both Splatoon and Splatoon Two and had a similar relationship with both of them. Which is, you play. I played it for a few hours. Thought this is delightful. Um, <laughs> just a great accessible, uh, sort of like multiplayer experience where uh, a lot of the horrible bullshit of multiplayer online multiplayer has been stripped out because it's a Nintendo game. So there's no horrible voice chat, etc. Um, but admittedly sort of like always did the same thing of falling off after about five or six hours mm. being like i know there is like there are more weapons to unlock and ways to play this but i think fundamentally the experience is so straightforward i can feel like i feel like i scratched the itch quite quickly and competitive games that really get under my skin 
tend to be ones that I just I will just play obsessively, and so mm. it's never quite crossed over for me. And for, and for that reason, Matthew, I'm probably not going to buy the third one unless unless in your you know you manage to convince me otherwise when we do that episode. This is, but this is where I give you the incredibly hot take that is Splatoon Nintendo's Destiny. Uh, <laughs> Because uh, I, does it have raids? It should have raids. No, it doesn't. But I will say the thing that keeps people playing into the hundreds, if not thousands of hours, is that the language of it is very similar to the language I hear around Destiny, in that it's people basically re-rolling weapons to try and get the ultimate version of a particular weapon. Like, mm. people are basically working towards the dream build in a game which fundamentally never changes, which isn't that what Destiny is? Yeah, I mean, you know, Destiny does does change a lot in terms of like how they rebalance weapons. I don't know if Nintendo does that, but I think um, it does do that not to the same degree and and the same like regularity. But it's that, that there's an element of that. But the yeah. idea of sort of that people have like a a dream something in mind that they're working towards. But the thing you plug that that dream character into is it's just Splatoon. You know, Splatoon is Splatoon, and um, you know. Almost with the depth it has in that system, it's almost a shame that that character, you know, doesn't have something more interesting to do in like the campaign mode. You know, like the, the campaign's separate. None of that kind of customization or, or the character you build for multiplayer isn't the character you bring into the into the single player campaign. For example, you know, it yeah. almost lacks the kind of slight coherence that maybe like locks like destiny i mean this is preposterous trying to call it like destiny, <laughs> but, you know for the sake of an interesting podcast whatever no. uh, <laughs> uh, i'm just basically what i'm saying is i've got this review on the horizon and i have no fucking idea how to write it without it being the most boring thing i've ever written so i'm yeah. just basically like i'm just trying out some like angles <laughs> on you to see if you see if you bite see if there's anything in them yeah, um, so try, trial version of an angle. I'm, just like f- a... I'm focus testing my review line on <laughs> on the podcast listeners. Um, yeah. So if on VGC you see a review at Lycan's Splatoon to Destiny, that's why it happened that's here. Good. Any others you want to A-B test while we're here, Matthew? Just uh, sort of like, is this game like Call of Duty Warzone, etc.? You know, that sort of thing. No, I don't think so. There's definitely something about, like, I, I think I'm probably too old to connect with the the whole kind of fashion scene of this game and people the kind really of... dig that side of things right as well <laughs> people are like super in... that's like a huge part of the game you know mm. what keeps you playing is unlocking like catalog and then like get you know some new trainers and the idea of working towards getting some trainers for a virtual squid that turns into a boy it just i don't know it just doesn't motivate me at 37. Um. <laughs> <laughs> what about when you were 30 in the original launch? Were you more into it then? Even then, like... I, I Back then, I didn't think... Like, I really liked it. when, it, when it, cause I, We never actually got to review Splatoon. The official Nintendo closed before Splatoon was out. But we did go and preview it after E3. And, you know, you pick it up and it's, like, instantly brilliant. I love it as a mm. game. And, and, again, we'll talk about that ne- next week. But uh, I, I never foresaw the kind of the world of Splatoon taking off in the way that it has. You know, people really connect with the iconography and the vibe and, you know, it's definitely a younger Nintendo team. Like, it comes from a, you know, there's a sense of, like, like a a young adult life in this game that other Nintendo games simply don't have. You can Mm. see the connection between Splatoon and the real world in a way that I don't think you really can elsewhere. Maybe in Animal Crossing, there's a bit of like 
the adult concern of like buying a house and decorating a house and the pleasure of making a place yours. Um, but this definitely feels like, oh, these are, you know, these are these are like real world ideas you're dealing with, you know, fashion and trendiness and clout. Um, and yeah, so I don't, it's, it's, you know, maybe not aimed that I don't think that stuff's particularly aimed at me, but we'll see how it goes. All right, cool. Well, I've got more to ask you about this, but I think it's best safe next week, Matthew. Yeah, let's um, do it. Because I'm sure we can have more Splatoon-shaped <laughs> thoughts then. Um, so, right, next up, a really simple one from me. I replayed Rogue Squadron, the N64 PC game. When don't you? Um, uh, what's that? When don't you replay Rogue <laughs> Squadron? Yeah, so this is just a real kind of like comfort play, basically. I was just like... Um, uh, messing around on the old Steam Deck, and I thought, I, you know what, I will just blast through Rogue Squadron. I'll just do that. And I, I came to a rea- realization that I don't think I ever finished this game without cheats because at some points, absolutely fucking rock hard. And I questioned whether I'd even finish one of the levels in this because I was definitely too incompetent as a twelve-year-old to actually do this. There's a nightmare level in this where you have to escort these three little walkers out of this icy valley while um, three giant walkers are shooting at them and tie bombers dropping bombs on them. And you have to be so quick to actually do this. It took me, I would say, 30 attempts to finish the level. Um, and I was looking up online, there were people who were writing retrospective things on Game FAQ forums going, why is this so fucking hard? And they're reading <laughs> that, like, apparently they recalibrated the difficulty of Rogue Leader based on the fact that people hated the difficulty in this mission. That's like how notorious it was. And I thought... There's no way I finished this legit when I was like 10. I must have just skipped past it. So this might have been the first time I truly finished Rogue Squadron, Matthew. <laughs> but yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. It looked very nice on that um, on, on the screen and everything. Um, a nice representation of the Star Wars universe. Uh, Unlock the Millennium Falcon, did a bit of that. Um, had a really good time. Um, sort of missed these kind of space shooters. Though I did forget how much of these games is just like um, do an attack run turn your ship around for about fucking 10 seconds, then do another attack run. And you think, okay, maybe that's where, like, first-person shooters won out over these because there's no, like, I have to do a, a build-up in order to shoot things again. Um, right. Like, by you don't have to jog off and then, like, jog back and then sort of charge, which you basically do in a spaceship in these games. So uh, <laughs> maybe that lacks a bit of drama these days. So that's a, that's a real, real quick one, Matthew. Um, so any thoughts to share there? Uh, I definitely didn't finish this game back in the day. Um, too hard for you? Oh, way too hard. Um, yeah, for sure. I think we probably yeah used cheats to see a load of the game and then abandoned it. I I didn't have the same love affair with this game that that you've had. Um, you know, I remember thinking, oh, it's quite cool, and the bit where you put the tow cable around the legs is cool. Um, if fucking nightmarish to control because it basically goes into like a third person camera and you have to steer it round and it's so hard um, which I guess it would be like the, the the feet it's meant to be a feat that he does it right it's, it's, yeah if, if it was that easy to do you know those walkers would have been abandoned years ago um, but uh, yeah yeah, maybe I need maybe I should uh, well actually I, I was going to say replay this for the Star Wars no. episode but that's films so uh, that's definitely not going to happen, you replaying this game. No. But um, I think that this is the one thing that Shadows of the Empire did well, was that, that they made the tow cable thing really simple. 
Like, it was quite hard to fuck up. They made it very arcadey. Right. And here, yeah, there's this, like, this chaotic third-person camera where your ship suddenly feels like light as air, and you turn one tiny bit, and it just goes off in an angle you can't possibly control from the, the camera p- perspective. And you're like, what were they on at Factor did, 5 making this in the 90s? But um, Did you watch the, fu- the Sonic Frontier trailer from Gamescom? No, no. So it shows the combat in it, and he's got all his usual bullshit homing Sonic moves um, that everyone hated in every other game he's ever done, um, but are back for some reason. But he's also got this move where he can basically like run... Uh, if he runs a circle around someone, it like traces it on the ground, and it's implied that if you like run repeated circles, like how many completed circles you do around an enemy is how much you damage it. And the camera view and the, the look of his movement it is exactly the same as that Toad Gable in Rogue Squadron. <laughs> uh, it gave me, like, you know, like NAM flashbacks. I was like, oh, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to do that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, because you are waiting for day one on Sonic Frontiers, aren't you? You're well, like, I can't I, wait to I, jump like, in, man. I was secretly hoping for, like, it to be brilliant and so I could do, like, a wild castle u-turn on it you know it's good drama for the ongoing storyline of this podcast yeah um, that's true but that depends on sonic being good which is a big yeah, ask you know well, i mean? won't pretend it's good uh for <laughs> the sake of a storyline um <laughs> you know I've, I've i've got too much respect for the listener <laughs> yeah so um yeah that's good I'm, I'm i'm pleased that transitioned into you uh slamming on all of his bullshit moves i was off um off uh, mic there like blowing my nose and then absolutely cracking up at you uh <laughs> laying into all of his bullshit moves that people hated last time and are back again very very funny uh what's your next one matthew your final uh, one for last this but not actually yet oh it's last <laughs> and maybe least uh escape academy uh which is another game pass game a bit of a game pass month for me uh, it's basically lots of escape rooms, but in a video game, which sounds like the most obvious thing in the world. Like you play them from a first-person perspective, uh, heavily designed around co-op. So I was playing this with local couch co-op with Catherine, uh, where you are both exploring this room, trying to find clues and keys and codes to unlock other things in a room, much like you would a real-life escape room. Um and uh, it, it's just, like, it technically works. Like, the puzzles are sort of fine, but it, it, it really made me realise that, like, what what's good about a real-life escape room, which for people who haven't ever done one, is uh, you go into a room that you get locked in with, like, half an hour, and then you have to solve a load of, like, weird sort of crystal maze-ish kind of puzzles to to find a key to eventually get out of the room. It's like being in a video game. Um, which is probably the problem with this game is that you are in a video game and it, it just it lacks all the sort of drama and sort of tactility and the weirdness of like what can happen in an escape room, which may sound like an, an unfair ask of a game. But like that is what makes an escape room an escape room. I was trying to put my finger on it of like, it's just too well behaved as a space, you know, like if there is a thing you can interact with, you press A on it, you know, it will light up and then your camera will zoom on it. Like I find what I've loved about escape rooms is the slight chaos that comes from introducing a kind of very fallible human being into a very technical puzzle and seeing these two things butt up against each other. You know, Mm. it's the beauty of going into a room and being like, 
there's a switch on the wall. What's this switch? What's this switch? And then some bloke has to come into the room and tell you, like, oh, that's an old light switch that we had to unwire in the room. Like, don't touch that. It's not part of the puzzle. Where there's, like, none of that madness in this. It really lacks that. It's, it's incredibly sterile, um, incredibly boring to what it's actually to be like in one of these rooms. You know, the fact that when you interact with an object in this game, it, you know, it will always be the correct interaction. You know, it doesn't give you something which you can potentially try and break or, you know, your mad head goes, let's smash an egg into it or whatever, you know, like <laughs> that's what happens when you're in an escape room. You go mad and this game doesn't have any space to go mad. Um, so for me, it's kind of like a complete failure at what it's trying to achieve. That's so uh, damning right there. Yeah, um, but I think... Yeah. Like, you know what I mean about escape rooms, though. They're like, something weird happens to you in that space. Yeah, I think, like, the whole point of it is that, like, the the venue itself is what you lose yourself in, or you don't. And Yeah. Yeah, and so there's the real-life element of it is why it's appealing. Um, it's why it's made for, you know, two quite bad films. Um, <laughs> but this is, <laughs> yeah, this is like playing a blueprint for an escape room. You know, you're like, oh, yeah, I can imagine that would be quite good if this was real. You know? Yeah, yeah, and and that yeah. that and and like maybe some people are like, well, that's just a completely unfair thing to say. You know, of course a game couldn't put you in it. Maybe what I'm saying is, don't make video games about this particular thing. Maybe it would work as a VR experience, um, where you could like interact with stuff and break stuff. Um, I just always remember being on a. I went to an escape room on my brother-in-law's stag do, and we missed our slot because we were in Cologne. And there was this famous Cologne escape room we wanted to go into. And we missed our slot because everyone was at the pub drinking those tiny beers. Um, <laughs> 8,000 tiny beers. Yeah. And um, we were like, oh, shit, we missed it. But we went along anyway. And they were, like, properly closing up. And we were like, oh, please, it's his stag do. And for whatever reason, they were like, oh, yeah, this looks like a group we should let in. This clearly, they've had 8,000 tiny beers. Um, they're safe to bring in. And like a couple of us were a bit more sober and trying to do the escape room but just seeing people like stick their fingers in like weird holes and things <laughs> things they clearly weren't meant to do like br- like nearly breaking so many bits of the furniture in the room and it was it it just i don't know i want a game that captures that sense of like chaos <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like you wouldn't make a game about what a cheeseburger tastes like do you know what i mean You're it's right. like <laughs> you got to actually just eat a fucking cheeseburger. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, maybe like, that's a, is that is that a dumbass analogy, Matthew? But you know no, what I, mean? I think that's true. I think there is something in it. I think there are some experiences you just you can't simulate. There is there is just something. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much you nail the action. There is just a there's an energy to the place. Like we went on one on my stag do, and it was just like someone's flat that had been converted into an escape room. Clearly, like they had a spare bedroom, didn't want to pay like bedroom tax on it or something, so it turned <laughs> into an escape room. But there were things in it where you're like, "Is this the escape room, or is this a man's filing cabinet with his accounts in it?" You know, there were, just, <laughs> there, were there were some things that just really blurred the lines of like adventure and reality and i couldn't tell what was what and it was kind of kind of terrible but also amazing for it (laughs) yeah the the bit that i always remember is when someone comes in and you have to hide and then like the light i think goes out and then 
you all hide and then they they come in and then it turns back on again and like that was quite scary to experience in real life even though it's preposterous like you know one of Catherine's brothers were like <laughs> was very clearly visible underneath a curtain hiding from this figure coming in and the idea that we were all suddenly somehow hidden um in the content <laughs> like the logic of the game was preposterous but we all bought into it you know um yeah I enjoyed that I thought it was, I thought it was good but yeah there was the thing of like am I supposed to rip this shutter off this window or is <laughs> Or, or is, does well, someone actually live here? Do you know what I mean? You know, once you've been locked in a room, you've got a natural surge of adrenaline from being yeah. trapped, and you're you're actually capable of like doing quite a lot of damage to that room. And like, yeah. they often say in all the escape rooms, in fact, I've done where they're like, if if something doesn't like instantly give, if you apply even like a little bit of pressure to it, like it's not part of the game. You know, like there's no test of strength. You know, nothing has to be broken for you to complete this. Because yeah. clearly people go in there and they're just like, ah, fuck, and then start, like, ripping the wallpaper off the walls. <laughs> you know, because you're like, the puzzle could be anywhere. It could be inside Craig. You know? <laughs> it could be, like, sore. Let's cut him open. And you're like, oh, no. You know, <laughs> where's, where's the game which makes you want to cut Craig open? That's what I want. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny, Matthew. So, uh, yeah. uh, Escape Academy, uh, not a high score from me. Um, yeah. Uh, I expect the impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Which format is that available on, Matthew? That's on, it's on like everything. It's on definitely well, PC and Xbox for sure. It's on Game Pass on Xbox. Um, like, well reviewed this. Like, it's got like a, nine, uh, like a 9 out of 10 on Steam or a 90% positive on Steam, but I don't know. It really didn't land for me. It's a very trendy sort of concept yeah. in escape room isn't it maybe um, i maybe that i don't know maybe there's a snooty element of like well not everyone can go to an escape room you know they're expensive and there might not be one near you and in which case yes you can you can experience this but uh, yeah. i just think there was a vital spark of magic missing from it yeah cut open craig that's funny um <laughs> yeah okay i was gonna ask you actually matthew i'm related to the games we're discussing have you played power wash simulator uh i yeah I've, I've been dipping into it yeah so i played about 10 minutes of it i washed that van right got to the second level thought this is really good at what it does and i want nothing to do with it and then uninstalled <laughs> it <laughs> that's my experience with this game that i just yeah going what, what from a you? van to a whole garden is like a very interesting like psychological hurdle because you do the van and you're like oh that was fun you know, maybe it takes you 10 minutes. But what you ask to clean next is so much bigger than a van. I think you're either going to walk away or you're going to play 100 hours of it. Like, yeah. it, it's kind of like, I dare you. And you're like, ah, oh, man, I really don't like, you know. And and the thing is, it's got you the second you spray once in that garden. Because you spray <laughs> a tiny bit of the patio and then you're like, well, as I'm here... I may as well do the rest of the patio. And then you're yeah. like, oh, and the doghouse is right here, so I'll just do the roof. <laughs> and the next thing you know, you've spent like an hour and a half cleaning <laughs> a pretend garden. And you're like, what am I fucking done with my life? <laughs> <laughs> that, <laughs> that is exactly it. But I had the added element of like, I had a flat inspection like the week <laughs> after that I was like playing this game. It was like a couple of days later. And instead of cleaning my actual flat, I was watch- washing someone's virtual garden with a hose. And I was like, 
what the fuck is wrong with me as a human being that this is how I I choose to live my life. So uh, yeah, that's I was like I respect what this is doing, but absolutely not. Like definitely <laughs> not. That's that's me with it. it but um, even like it knows that like what what a psychological tug of war is going on because I think when you are like halfway through the garden, it's like do you want to clean this like tiny children's bicycle or so it gives you something a separate mission to clean something really small where you can leave the garden as it is and come back later so it like mm. gives you these like breadcrumbs of well why don't you get 100% on this and then you'll maybe feel better about yourself it knows just when you're feeling like at lowest ebb you know cleaning a fucking birdhouse or something <laughs> um weird game i might i think it might end up on some people's game of the year lists Oh, definitely. It's like, I think it was like a ringer piece about it, and they barely yeah. covered video games. So I was like, what? You know, so. Like, yeah, it's crack, and it's amazing. Like, it's definitely, like, one of the better examples of that kind of crack. Like, like it's it's classier than, like, House Flipper and the Lawn Mowing Simulator. Like, it's just more interesting and more, like, instantly fun and reactive. Um, yeah. Yeah, weird one, that. We'll see. Yeah, very strange. Um, yeah, I'm glad it was on game pass so i could get it in and out of my life as quickly as possible yeah. so my last one here matthew is rise son of rome um now i bought this for two pounds on steam uh three days ago um and i suggest to you that this is a good a good purchase for two pounds i've been playing it on steam deck and i think what is like a, a six out of ten in 2013 for 40 quid is a 7 out of 10 in 2022 for two quid and very low expectations. Um, so this is a game where made by Crytek, so it looks really kind of photorealistic, where you play some Roman dude during the time when Nero was around, and you are hacking up loads of barbarians who I think are British or something or other. And <laughs> it's got these very elaborate looking kind of cutscenes, photorealistic, um, just, you know, the, the works, motion capture, all that stuff. Looks very shiny. Essentially amounts to a game where you don't do loads more um, than slice loads of dudes up with these rad finishing moves. And it's only about six hours long. I'm about just over halfway through it. but like four hours the other day. Um, I think this is extremely enjoyable. And because it's so different to the type of blockbusters people make now, i.e. it is short, cinematic... It, it's done in six hours and you move on. It's kind of refreshing against the grain of things that exist now because no one would make a game with this level of fidelity that only lasts for that length of time these right. days. It doesn't happen. Um, and I think it's just very... And those finishing moves feel real good. It's repetitive and it's not it's not super simple, though. It's like challenging enough. You kind of like alternate between shield bashing, countering, rolling. You'll chuck a spear through a dude sometimes. That's pretty fun. You'll sometimes get into your little formation of shields to protect yourself against arrows as you charge and it's very gorgeous looking levels i think rise son of rome is quite enjoyable matthew thoughts yeah maybe they should have released it for two pounds originally maybe that's <laughs> where this game went wrong this was always going to be an incredible sub 10 pound seven out of ten <laughs> that's where this game belongs um yeah i i played it way after the fact and sort of had a similar time with it you're like if you can play it like five years after it came out where like the fate of xbox doesn't rest on it being a good game you know yeah, it isn't yeah. a key first party game you can just enjoy it as oh yeah this is you know i wish there were like a hundred games like this a year 
you know, which were this level of just like polish, size, violence. <laughs> um, yeah, not a lot That's to the... it. Um, does it still look all right? Does it hold up? Because I remember thinking like it, it was beginning to show a little bit of age. Like I, I don't personally think it does show age. I mean, okay. I, I, I like. I think maybe. I did they ever? I assume they never did a frame rate patch for this, right? No, so no. probably. Well, so I think it probably runs slightly better on PC. I assume it's doing like 40 FPS on Steam Deck or something. But um, no, I personally think it it looks real shiny still. Maybe you don't have all of the kind of types of visual effects you have these days. But I think when when you think of it as a contemporary of something like God of War Ascension, it looked a lot better than that did for the time. Um, And yeah, I don't know. Like there is that kind of like Crytek sort of like coldness you know what i mean that right, sort of yeah, like yeah, yeah. things are like it's not nothing is particularly like lavish there's nothing fantastical about it lavish is the wrong word there's nothing particularly stylized about it you know mm. it's all like we try to make it look like like a hollywood film about the time that's kind of what yeah they go with just like how Cry- crisis doesn't look particularly stylish it's just it's very clean it's very it's like a car showroom kind of game it's a bit bit of a similar vibe here um <laughs> And so, yeah, I think that's the thing. Is it is weird thinking of this as like the big launch game for Xbox, but it was, wasn't it? This was yeah. this had been around for ages. I think it was a Connect game for a while, and then yeah, finally rocked up as a launch game, and then just just left people nonplussed really, and was forgotten pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> and then found its way to PC a few years later. So yeah, I don't know. For two pounds these days, pretty enjoyable. And yeah, like <laughs> you always wish that a game like this existed now, but was pitched as. Oh well, you can play this on Game Pass, and it's it's a mid level game. It's not meant to be like a, you know, Halo Infinite sized blockbuster. Yeah. But instead, it was it was pitched as out of the time, and it was always going to disappoint on that level. You know, is so. the uh, is the is a no, this isn't a spicy take. Is the spiritual successor to Rise Son of Rome Hellblade? I did think of it a bit while I was playing this. Like um, very pretty, but like not a not a huge amount going on with its actual action systems. Well, I think it, I have to come back to my original point in this, Matthew, which was that Heavenly Sword was the predecessor to Hellblade. Oh, right. like, <laughs> Heavenly Sword, Hellblade. Like, that feels very... There's continuity yeah. there, you know? I've made that point before, so apologies to the listeners for repeating myself. No, but, no, that's 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 a bit more... That's that's a lot more valid, I think. But I definitely think you can see a through line in terms of, like, the the relative complexity of the combat, the, the photorealism... Um, yeah, like it definitely, it feels like it lives in the same space for sure. Mm. Uh, I, yeah, I, it's weird because apparently they were going to make a sequel. Then Microsoft said, we want the IP rights if you make a sequel. And Crytek were like, no. So nothing happened. But <laughs> Crytek can make another a Rise 2 if they want to at well, some point, Well, they were that attached to it. Like, yeah. as a natural IP, <laughs> it's just about a fucking Roman. <laughs> like, that's the story. <laughs> there was a Roman and he killed some guys. Oh, what a legend. <laughs> so what I worked with at Frontier tweeted me saying... Oh, my uncle played Nero in that game. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great bit of trivia. I was quite impressed by that. Um, yeah. Imagine being precious that, about Rise. I'd be like, another load of work from you. Absolutely. Sounds great. Thank you, Microsoft. We'll take that paycheck. Well, that's it. I, especially because Crytek has some bumpy times after <laughs> yeah. that. Like, um, I'd have been like, yeah, you know, if this doesn't work out, we'll just make a fucking Greek version of this. You know what I mean? Yeah, just be Spartan spelled with a Y, where the second (laughs) A is. Spartan. (laughs) Spartan. Martin the Spartan. (laughs) I would say that. Son of Greece, yes. Which also has two Ys in it. That'd be good. Uh, Yeah. 
Okay, I've wasted enough time on that one, Matthew, but I hope you enjoyed me rambling about it. Yeah, it was good. I'm, you know, I came to, to hear what you've been playing, and I have heard what you've been playing. <laughs> yeah, quite quite a varied selection, really. Um, so, shall we take a quick break, Matthew, then come back with some listed questions? Let's do it. Welcome back to the podcast. Matthew, can you read this really fucking long question from Danny Manx? I've got a cold. That'd be a a big favour. Cheers, pal. Uh, He's got a straight up question for us. What's the biggest lie you've ever heard or been told by a developer about their game? I'm talking the big Molyneux-esque over-ambitious promises about what their game will be, when in reality, they're never like the promise article. The biggest culprit for me, this is Danny Mann speaking, not me, uh, is Todd Howard's E3 2005 preview on Oblivion, which I think I first saw on a PC Gamer Mag DVD in which he talks over an incredibly scripted scene of the player flirting their way into an NPC's house. You first see the NPC decide to improve her archery skills by badly firing at an archery target in her bedroom, all whilst announcing out loud every every supposedly genuine thing that comes into her head. She even gets so frustrated with her bad aim, she drinks a potion to improve it, then weirdly, after feeding her noisy German shepherd, she then casts a spell to paralyse it, because it won't stop barking while shouting, I said mummy is reading, which only stops the dog from barking temporarily. So she sets fire to it with a fireball spell, which presumably solves the problem more permanently. Todd plays all of this off like it's a natural part of the game for every NPC, which obviously it never was. One of my favourite games, but I've always thought it was an odd way to advertise it when there is so much to genuinely love about it that actually does exist in the finished game. That is from Danny Man. Yeah, so... This specific case, I think that the reason a lot of this stuff happened in the noughties is because it was before the idea of an internet backlash existed. So you could, (laughs) excuse me, you could, um, you know, basically say we want our game to do this or we're going to do this. Like um, Fable did this, of course. You know, a bunch of modern new games did. They could overpromise. And then if the finished game didn't line up, there may be... I don't know. I think it was a slightly more innocent time. I don't think it was ever done maliciously. No. I think it was just like we want to we want to aim for this, and if we don't hit it, fine. And that was how things were. Now we're in the age of like someone will compare the cyberpunk demo of one year to another year and be like downgrades and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and like you know, it's an age where you don't do that anymore. Um, but yeah, do I think it, I don't really think of it as a lie. I think it was something that probably Todd wanted to put in the game, but like, and maybe was in the game at some point, but ultimately just, you know, got yeah. missed out. Um, what do and, you think and, of that one? Yeah, and, and for his sins, I think he, he now runs like exemplary demos. Um, yeah. You know, like he's become quite famous for the for the kind of cut down E3 demo where he jumps between specific features to show you exactly how they function in the game, which I think is a really clear, honest way of doing it. Um, it's not, and, and actually, he does maintain the showmanship as well because these games have interesting enough ideas. Um, I was going to say, like, behind the scenes, because I felt like Danny was, like, angling for some kind of sort of secret expose. I wouldn't say I've ever heard anything where I've been like, wow, and then it just hasn't been true. Um but I think the thing you do uh, become tuned to when you are going to a lot of like game events and game previews and hearing developers talk is how they frame a feature that is in the game and maybe upsell it. Um, 
so the the one that jumped out to me is when I did the Rise of the Tomb Raider um, cover feature. There was a lot of talk about like survival elements in the game, where like in this game she's a survivor, and survival's you know you're gonna have to do things like find a fire, find a shelter, kill animals for food. Now, when you say that, your mind pictures survival mechanics. You know, it pictures health bars, heat bars, you know, a sleep meter, all this kind of stuff. Where actually. What it technically refers to is that there are narrative sequences where she makes one fire, makes a camp, and kills an animal to kill at that camp. Technically, everything he said happened did happen in the game, but it was like it's framed to make it sound as exciting as possible. And I don't see that as a lie. I see that as the sort of showmanship and the game that you play with developers when they're telling you about something, where it's to kind of like pass it and work out exactly what it is and represent it I and mean, you don't want to f- like just repeat ad nauseum what you were told because you know that, that there's there's risk in that but it, it, I, I i i personally like i quite like that part of the job i quite like how they describe something compared to like what it is and trying to work out what it is um but i wouldn't say it was like cynically done yeah, I think that your Rise of Tomb Raider example came up when my example came up, when we were asking something similar a long time ago now. Right, okay. But, um, so I, I mentioned that um, probably the closest thing I got to like an out-and-out fib, uh, I wouldn't call this a fib, but it's close, is um, the producer of Mass Effect Andromeda, who told me that we are approaching the completionist aspect very differently. This is when I asked about side quests, because we've done and learned a lot from Inquisition, but we've also observed what other games have been doing, like The Witcher, and then described meaningful as like the to represent the side content in the game. And I think it's fair to say that Andromeda did, didn't have that um, <laughs> and didn't really learn any lessons from Inquisition. And that felt like just a hard marketing, well, yeah. we'll just say this. And that's not, not what that game is. Um, yeah. do, I, do I think it's malicious? Not no. really, but that was a game with a lot of problems and they were probably papering over the cracks a little bit. So... <laughs> The, the, yeah. the crazy flip side to this is the one time I was told something extraordinary and then it was extraordinary and didn't end up in the game um, mm. was the earliest multiplayer demo of that I tried of Crackdown 3 when it was a, cr- a cloud-controlled uh, or cloud-calculated uh, city where you could destroy the whole city right down to, like, a granular level, like... It was like red faction guerrilla style destruction, but but even mm. even more granular than that. Like if you were in a skyscraper and sh- keep sh- kept shooting a machine gun into a pillar of rock, you would eventually like burrow through and create you know a hole which was the hole the size of a bullet hole, and then could shoot through it to assassinate someone. And we played the demo where that tech was in it. We you know we played it and saw it, but mm. they could never ever make it work with the the cloud like the retail version of it or what would be available to the public and the actual multiplayer mode in crackdown is a very watered down version of that that destruction um but for like 15 seconds for 15 minutes i saw the future <laughs> and then it got uh it got wound back what a bummer that that never saw the light of day in that form like yeah. that that sounded so exciting there, were, um, there was maybe even like an edge cover or coverage around the time about this and like I know that that Dave Jones guy worked on GTA. Like he was quite cl- um, closely involved in the making of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was yeah I was kind of heartbroken that never happened. And I yeah. saw the finished one, and it was kind of like 
you're kind of just jumping around these blocks, aren't you? Just shooting them, and it's like, what? yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah. The, the, the final things just, I, I imagine, you know, I imagine in the plus column it worked, which yeah. uh, the other mode wouldn't have. Except the other mode did work. It worked in our demo. We saw it. We played it. You know. Yeah, uh, that's it. So at, at, some time, time, at some point, it existed. Yeah. yeah. At one time, they managed to make it work on like a mega PC. <laughs> yeah. So. Ah, oh, damn. R.I.P. The dream. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I do like um, developers giving the big sell. Like um, I don't know. I remember seeing um, Fable Three, and like Peter Molyneux for a while was obsessed with talking about Coronation Street as a point of comparison. Like um, <laughs> I think he was talking about the fact that they once upon a time they released ta- uh, Fable Two episodically, and he liked the idea of games being something that the details would change, but the experience of playing them would stay the same or something. But right. Um, he always just talked a good talk. Like I remember him talking about how powerful he thought the idea of like holding hands of the character was in Fable Three, um, and like and just what that that kind of represents, and talking about how they were slimmed down all the progression systems to make it more straightforward for players because they had too many of them in Fable Two. And I don't know. I always thought I always found him very convincing. He's so like, imagine if you could kill Ken Barlow and they remember <laughs> it for twenty years to come. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, it's yeah. I don't know. That's why I kind of like. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm I happy I having really, the spiel. I love a showman. Yeah, that's it. Like I, I never really got upset by it in the way that. But people have found that objectionable, and we we saw where that where that led. Of course, we don't need to go over that. But <laughs> you know, I like I, I liked him. I liked it. I don't you know don't NFT bullshit. Stay away from all that. And like obviously, like <laughs> Goddess didn't work out, but. I've got time. If he wants to just make a computer game that's good, Molyneux, I've definitely got time for him still. So, um, yeah, there you go, Pete. There's the, the, the challenge, the gauntlet has been thrown down. He's like, huh, um, make a good game. <laughs> not that an NFT. Work. Okay. Okay, good. So, here we go, Matthew. This one's some, some bullshit from a listener. Um, a new <laughs> version of Winamp has just been released. Advanced Wars has been delayed due to a worldwide conflict, and a new series of Big Brother is about to start. No, it's not the early 2000s. It's 2022. You have both been selected to enter the new Big Brother house. You have also been assigned the role of Big Brother and must pick two video game characters or video game personalities to join your co-host in their respective houses. One that they'll form a strong bond with and one who will annoy the living piss out of them. Who do you both choose and why? I haven't worked out the logistics of how you can both be housemates and Big Brother simultaneously. Let's just say a wizard did it. As a bonus question, you may each take one luxury item into the house with you. What do you take and why? It's some Ryan plugs. Now that's quite incoherent, Matthew. But I think basically you just have to pick one person who's annoying and one person you'd like to. Uh, the, but for you, right? I'm yeah, but for, for me, yeah. yeah. And I've done it for you. And so, uh, did you understand that before? Yeah, we... I did. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay, good. So do you want to go with yours first? What yeah, did you so pick for me? I, I was thinking, like, in terms of something you'd hate, like you don't like people kind of getting up in your shit, or like, <laughs> I don't think you like kind of chaos or like too much noise. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, I was thinking either like a rabid from the rabid <laughs> games because they just right. scream the whole time. Or um, did you see the demo of the new Justin Roiland game? Oh God, yeah, that, <laughs> that was talking full of knife stuff. <laughs> oh God, yeah, the 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 things in that that just seemed like the most annoying shit of all time. Well, there we go, perfect. I'd send you in with one the talking knife from the Justin Roiland's new game. Yeah. Um, because that would just... I don't think you'd be able to do anything, because you're not allowed to hurt another housemate, are you? 
No, if, if you do, I think they just come and take you out of there, so you'd be yeah, disqualified. They I think the law still ha- works inside the Big Brother <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not, not like international waters, we can do what you like. Is that yeah, how not... international waters work? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think so, but it's not, the law is not waived by like Channel 5 or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, good, that is annoying. Um, for, for your annoying person, Matthew, I'm, I'm putting the... The woman in Sapienza in Hitman who says Rocco, Rocco at the start of the level, and like she'll just say that over and over again for like two weeks while Big Brother's happening. So I think you'd find that quite annoying. Every time you go near her, she'll start doing that routine. How do you feel about that routine? (laughs) So the entire thing starts over and over again, much like playing a Hitman level. And I really want a snack. And you're like, can I hear this again without completely losing my shit? So, yeah. <laughs> On TV. So, yeah. So I thought that was a good one because I knew that she annoyed you at the time. So, yeah. Um, yep. um, who's the person you've got who I would so, form a bond with? I was thinking of someone who was like quite chilled and adult. And then I was thinking, I know that you like Final Fantasy. So I was trying to think, who do I think in Final Fantasy you'd get on with the most? And huh. um, Catherine actually suggested Auron from Final Fantasy X. Yeah, that, that suggests Catherine knows quite a lot about my personality, which is it's quite flattering, actually. Um, she's not like Waka. We'll send Waka <laughs> yeah. in with you. That would annoy the shit out of me again. But I think he was, um, you know, he's, he's just like... Because I was thinking, like, if you wanted the ultimate quiet character, like Agent 47, but he's too quiet. You want someone you can, like, share an, an, a story with or whatever. I think you could have a conversation with Auron. I think so, yeah, because I'd be like, oh, you know, back when I was in sort of like I went on this press trip in 2007, I had a I had a piss at the side of the road outside of New York and got beat at by a police car, and he'd be like, I'm dead. And I'd, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, you know what I mean? Like, not, big... not in a like that story has killed me. It was so funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm literally, I'm literally dead. a dead person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think there's a lot a lot out of that. He's got like the energy of someone who like. Um, back when I was in my twenties and I'd go to parties, I had, I had like friends in my thirties who'd always like give me quite bullshit life advice, and I'd sort of like nod sagely, like, "Yeah, this person really knows their shit." And then I get into my thirties and I'm like, "Well, I don't know anything," so they probably didn't either. So, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think Oren would, you know, offer a bit of like guidance and tips and stuff like that. I think he'd be, I think he'd be good. Yeah, yeah that's a like good he's pick. truly lived, and I mean that in every sense of the word, lived past tense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it'd be funny if I got to the house though, and it's just like um, you know the knife, the Justin Roiland knife, and a Tonbury just walking towards <laughs> me with the knife. That'd be good. Um, okay, so for you, I've, I've, I'm going to put Garrison there, Matthew, okay. um, for Masfed, because I think what you need is encouragement to like finally write something like a book or screenplay. <laughs> and I feel like if I task Garrison with like talking you through that, you do a bit of target practice and be like, Matthew, if you you thought about working on that book finally, just getting something down on paper. I think he'd like he'd go through that with you, the back garden doing a bit of target practice. Meanwhile, the woman in the background show Rocco, Rocco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's really conducive to writing a great novel. Having to listen to that. Also, imagine going into Big Brother and thinking the strategy to win Big Brother is to quietly sit and write. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't you seen this through. you've got to just get like really drunk and then like almost drown yourself in a paddling pool and like shit yourself on tv that's how you win <laughs> big brother you just have to be like an animal um <laughs> like yeah, writing 
writing quietly. If anything, Garrosh is a major threat because everyone fucking loves that guy. He would win Big Brother. Yeah, but he wouldn't do like he wouldn't shag someone in a hot tub. Do you know what I mean? Like it's oh yeah. Well, the only people in the house is me and the lady says Rocco a lot. <laughs> I feel like, a lot of options. That's true. There's no context here about whether there's other people here. No, it's because... just that. <laughs> it's it's what unwatchable it's TV that would be. Twelve weeks with those three people. <laughs> yeah. Any romance mean... between you or on or a talking knife? <laughs> <laughs> that'd be that'd be tough for me. I'd have to ask some like really searching questions about my se- sexuality in that situation. I think. <laughs> but let's not go. Let's not go into that. What would your luxury item be, Matthew? Uh, I don't know. You sort of think some kind of weapon from Hitman to get rid of the Rocco lady. Like, I mean, are you going to kill a woman on TV? Is that <laughs> thing? Well, there's bit, aren't there thing bits on the house do? which aren't filmed. Well, but, I mean, I'd throw there's a not coin many into, like, wherever that is. <laughs> the toilet. Just, <laughs> like, throw a coin into the toilet and then garrot her in there. And then just tell Garrosh to never, ever go into the toilets. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just hear Rocco, Rocco cut out basically, and it's like, oh, Matthew Castle just murdered a woman on live TV. Like, Gar- Garrus wow. is like, where's the Rocco lady? <laughs> I'm like, don't worry oh, about no, it, no. <laughs> read you just, some of my book. <laughs> can, you, yeah, can you just go take a shit in the garden from now on? Thanks, mate. Um, okay, lots to unpack there, but I think I'd just take a little, little retro handheld, probably. Just put put a load of GBA games on there. That pass the time, but again, it's not chaotic enough for tv is it i'd have to like eat eat bite a chicken's head off or like beat a guy to death or whatever and they'd be like yeah we're giving this guy a, a deal like a some endorsement deal when i get out and i'll get to be on this morning or something you know what i mean so the knife would end up getting married to like peter andre or something that's what <laughs> happens when you leave the big brother house well i think i think we talked about that one for about 20 minutes so should we move on to the next question yeah. Uh, hi, gents. Can you think of any developers who have dematured in terms of the tone and aesthetics of the games they make? Basically, the opposite of studios like Rockstar and Naughty Dog, those being devs who found success with more adult or self-serious games and subsequently moved away from their more eccentric and lighter history. Or if that's tricky, any studios you'd like to see change up the tone of their games? Uh, this was inspired by wondering about Larian's next game after Baldur's Gate 3, um, because it seems to be a big step up in presentation and reduced silliness from Divinity 2. I have quite a uh, controversial answer to this one, Matthew, which Ooh. is, I feel like I, I could go for a slightly lighter From Software game, I think. Ooh, okay. Um, just a slightly lighter touch, like maybe like more of a kind of young adult adventure quality about it, a bit more about the wonder of exploration than... This landscape's fucking decaying, and like that Miyazaki guy does life is strange. <laughs> no, I was thinking more along the lines of like Miyazaki does like Avatar, like the uh, the Nickelodeon series. Big Avatar kind of head, eh? <laughs> um, you know the what's it? You know the kind of with the different elements. Oh, and the stuff. Nickelodeon one. I thought you were talking about James Cameron's Avatar. No, no, no. <laughs> I was I, like, I, what? <laughs> I just think that something like that, where you've got that sort of, um, you know, like a. a Sort of like boys' own adventure, I guess, kind of thing. Oh, okay. But not like just sort of like where the yeah, there's a, a journey in that sense, and it's less about look at this like eldritch horror you have to, and it's got like 19 health bars or whatever. It's like maybe just a slightly lighter touch there, bit mm. might be might be a nice change. But I know people just want to see like you know a, f- a fetid rotting dragon just like breathe fire on them, like, and like a it dog takes with a hundred baby's arm kill. coming out of its ass or something. <laughs> 
exactly. So and they're like, oh um, yeah, that's what I like to see. <laughs> like, yeah, cool. <laughs> In terms of actual examples, I did struggle with this a little bit. I suppose you could look at something like. Um, Quantic Dream, who are now making a Star Wars game, that's a bit different in terms of the mm. maturity level of stuff they have been making. Um, you've seen this go wrong before with like Mini Ninjas, for example. Um, it's like we'll make this instead of Kane and Lynch or Hitman, and it's like just make Hitman and it's fine. Um, mm. uh, but I also thought like maybe Insomniac a little bit. They tried to go a bit gritty with the Resistance games, and now they just make Ratchet and Clank and superhero titles. Though so mm. they never really stopped making Ratchet and Clank. I couldn't think of a great answer for this. Basically, Matthew, what about you? I had a couple of things where I thought there was a slight thawing, perhaps, of them. Um, I think Suda51 games got trashier with time. I think his earlier games are a bit more abstract and arty and a bit more serious-minded. Uh, like, if, like, if you compare The Silver Case or Flower, Sun and Rain to, like, Shadows of the Damned, where it's all jokes about you having a big boner, like, they're very different projects. You know, Killer7 is, I would say, quite serious-minded compared to what he would later make. Yeah, um, yeah, for humor. sure. Um, yeah. N- not, I wouldn't say dematured, but I think I think Valve lightened up over time. Mm-hmm. Like, arguably, Port, you know, Portal and their little weird, funny Steam Deck game, that that kind of, the, the Aperture kind of universe is uh, a side of them I like, a very witty, funny, accessible side, compared to, I'd say reasonably harder edged stuff earlier on i i prefer their modern tone of voice to like half-life one's tone of voice for example yeah gearbox used to have more tonal strings to their bow back you know they they made you know expansions for half-life they made brothers in arms and now they just make shrieking meme fodder i think they used to have a bit more going on than they have going on now i'd say they've dematured or unmatured yeah, that's partly because of the types of games they have been making. Um, yeah. But it's weird, I suppose they are also like the publisher of Homeworld 3, which looks quite... Oh yeah, that's uh, but they, that's not out yet. So, you know, I'm willing no. to reset my opinion uh, once. No, that's fine. But, that's uh, a hard one to answer, but quite is, a good question. It is a hard one to answer, but I tried my best. Yeah, like, um, but then, you know, you could say that Rockstar did, like, you know, was more self-serious of GTA 4 than less self-serious of GTA 5, but... Yeah, Red Dead Redemption Two was very self serious, so who knows? Um, yeah, it's uh, all a little yeah. bit like tuberculosis. Lol, you know, <laughs> it's, it's hard work. Hi guys, what are your thoughts on limited run or re-releasing old games on disc for modern formats in general? There seems to be a bit around a bit of negativity around limited runs, lead times. Games can take half a year or more to actually arrive, and they take your money straight away with a strict no cancel policy and high pricing for collector's editions. Considering what you actually get. Also, there have been rumours about withholding stock to create artificial bars. Ah, I don't want to go into that because that sounds like allegations with no evidence behind it. Um, that's me saying that. I'm all for physical copies of older games being re-released. I'm waiting on my PS4 limited run copy of Castlevania Requiem, including Sh- uh, Symphony of the Night. But with other issues such as bad ports, I'm looking at you, Blade Runner Enhanced Edition from Night Dove Studios. And the actual cost of getting a disc press slash artwork printed with at times can be an up to- un- unoptimized version of a digital release. Is limited run games a bad thing? Um, so, uh, I personally haven't bought anything from them, and like, I don't. I think like I've thought about it. I've thought there's no more Heroes editions they did on Switch that really good. Um, and I would I would pay it for a game I really loved. I sort of missed. I think there was like actually a N64 cart pressing of Shadow, uh, Shadows of the Empire they did, and I, I think I would have been well up for something like that. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just not. 
I'm not a big physical goods guy when it comes to games. I do like having like a you know a Nintendo Switch sort of like um, the little cards and stuff, but I'm not. I don't need to have art books and all this other peripheral stuff because all it does is get a bit battered when I move house and I never really take <laughs> care of it. So that sort of stuff isn't really a big part of my life these days. And I think that like if you buy this stuff, it's such a big financial commitment. You you kind of have to mean it to begin with. So the existence of it doesn't offend me. As long as those games are like widely available digitally or in other means, that's yeah. that's the thing. I don't I don't think they withhold them from anywhere. So I don't know. What are your thoughts, Matthew? Yeah, I mean, like the fear of missing out thing. I mean, that's 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 just a whole that's a whole industry. That's not just games. There's you know every hobby has its things which you know are are like artificially scarce um, to to make them sort of desirable. And it's I don't know like. I don't need these things. I don't feel like, oh, God, there's nothing I want that only exists in that format. You know, they're going back to old things and, like, you know, creating these new products. I mean, uh, like, maybe it preys on suckers, but if it does, like, don't be a sucker. Don't go for it. I mean, I I don't know. I I, I felt this way about so many... I used to go to Comic-Con and see people who'd spend their whole Comic-Con queuing up to have a chance at winning, like, a limited edition Transformer toy. Or, or buying a limited edition My Little Pony that only existed at Comic-Con. And you think, like, I mean, yeah, if that's how you want to spend your time and do it, by all means, but you can't do it, you know, to, to sort of... I don't know, it seems odd to kind of complain about that process. Like, you can just opt out of it. You know, you have, you have the ultimate control over the experience, I guess. Like, I don't see what's been limited to you by just going, nah, I don't want that, you know, because... Yeah. Like, these things are sold... New games are all sold. You have an opportunity to buy them there fairly, I would say. Uh, yeah, I just I don't really get it. But I, I know there's been like there's a few YouTubers who've who've, who've taken sort of great umbrage with uh, limited run because of certain practices or whatever. But a lot of it, it's just no one's like forcing you to do it. And I hope that doesn't sound like a shitty. Uh, it doesn't affect me. I don't care. But I I just like there's a, I don't know the collectibles industry is designed to bilk you of money. Like, just don't do it. Don't go in for it. I mean, it's as easy as that. Let me give you an example of, like, an alternative to this where it is shitty, right? So, in comic books, there's um, a very, like, an out-of-print for a long time crossover between the Justice League of America and the Avengers they did, um, oh. written by Kurt Busiek and illustrated by legendary artist George Perez, who passed away this year, I think. And they did a limited, a limited reprint of it where it was so limited... It was actually very cheaply priced. That comic book shops could only order like one copy each, basically. And they said, "Oh yeah, we're only doing this one print run. We won't print any more." And it's raising money for you know the charity, a charity that was linked to the artist. And it sold out immediately. And it all that happened is a load of copies went on eBay for extortionate amounts, not benefiting the charity. And their reasoning for this was so shitty, and it was so annoying. I was like. I can't buy this book. I want to give you money to help support this cause and you are literally stopping me from doing it because you've got this pig-headed way of like actually putting this out there that is is like just annoying to your to your customers. That's right. like if limited run were doing that like artificially doing that it, that way. That would be a different uh, different way. Uh, that would be a different conversation, but they're not. They basically they take your money up front because it costs a load of money to actually make the stuff. Like you can't you know, you can't take no money and then, like, have all this stuff commissioned. You need to, like, take the money and pay for it because you can't have people cancelling their orders because you've already paid to make the thing. So that's right. a fair request, I think. Um, 
And then as for the, the lead time, it takes ages to get this stuff made. It just does, especially right now with the supply chain problems. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, having seen that comic book version of it, it'd be just so annoying. They're like, I can't want to buy a book and I can't because the publisher's saying, no, no, we're not making any more. So you better buy it off eBay off of some scalper prick. And it's like, what are you thinking? You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah that's I'd my take I, on it, Matthew. Yeah, I... But maybe what this comes down to is the fact they've they've yet to have anything I would want, you know, like the, the games that I like or the games that I'd want to see come back, they would never have access to, you know, they would yeah. never be part of that process. It's quite weird fringe stuff, and 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 they have got people caught in the, you know, I have ninety nine percent of these, so now I have to have them all, and those those people, you know, probably feel like they're being victimised, but. They bought into I don't know they bought into it. It's like people who buy fucking Funko Pops and feel they have to buy every Funko Pop. You know, no one was forcing you to buy it to pick well, it. That's the catastrophic lack of taste, isn't it? But um, <laughs> maybe it's just um, keeping these people from collecting human heads, though, Matthew. But, maybe it's a good thing, you know. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Know. I just <laughs> I, I just find it very hard to put myself in the shoes of someone who would ever be interested in those things because it's so far from how I connect with games these days. But Sorry, yeah, that's fair. probably a duff answer. <laughs> yeah, sorry, very unsatisfying from both of us. But um, yeah, me rambling about comic books and Matthew's like, nah. So uh... <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on then, Matthew. So there's some fiery meat. Um, hello, two men. One, are you when you are doing draft slash best of episodes? Do you go back and play the games that you're going to discuss? I'm amazed by your ability to remember fine details and intricacies of games that are sometimes a couple of decades old. What do you think, Matthew? Like, um, this varies quite a lot, but I would say in most cases I don't go back and replay things because there's no time. But occasionally I will play something if I feel like I need to plug that knowledge gap to make the podcast a bit better. See uh, Tie Fighter in the first PC draft that we did, um, <laughs> which really and, benefited uh, me. <laughs> yeah, but um, what about you, Matthew? Because like, you've definitely put some research into more episodes than others, right? Yeah, when we do like the big series deep dives. Yeah, I've I've replayed a lot of stuff for those uh, just to try and get some like fresh takes and some fresh observations because I feel like it's a big ask that we're going to do like two hours of Ace Attorney and, and they're quite well known games and you're like I'm I'm going in with mine to try and find something like new to say about them and and also like to see how they hold up and whether my rankings on them still hold up. Um, most games, weirdly, the stuff I remember about them, if I then go and find my review and read it, it's the stuff that I pulled out when I was reviewing it. Like, you just always remember the highlights, and if you wrote the review properly, your highlights would be represented in that review, and it just reinforces, like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of know where I stand on this. Um, and I've, there's been a couple of games from, like, childhood that I've, you know, watched footage of just to refresh myself on youtube of like oh yeah i remember that piece of music or that thing there but i do try to say in the episode like oh yeah i watched it i'm not trying to fob anyone off and pretend i'm, I'm not like my memory's pretty bad these days to be honest um you know there are people who have got like way more gaming knowledge locked away i, I i'm not encyclopedic at all i'm not even close um uh so yeah basically yeah i i would say that like um you know, it's. I sometimes think the half remembered quality of discussing these games is quite, quite nice because you do sort of like you know, as long as you're not straying into factual inaccuracies, and I don't think we do, we're pretty good at avoiding that stuff. Um, we are. It's like the sometimes that's the best way to discuss these games because not all of them hold up when you do like a forensic re-examination, and so. 
um, particularly when you're doing a, doing it in list form. So I quite like that quality about it. And then at the yeah. same time, like Matthew says, I mean, I'm currently playing through the God of War series because I want to be super up on that series when we do our series retrospective. We spaced them out quite a bit, those ones, because they take more work. But yeah, I don't know. There's not time to replay everything, but... I don't know. I wouldn't talk about something unless I felt like I've got something to say or some perspective on it. So yeah. I, I think it's I, good. I, I, I have definitely edited out bits where I I felt I was too vague on something to make myself sound better. <laughs> yep, same. So there you go. Good to be upfront about it. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to read the next one, Matthew? We've done best gaming board members. We've done best holiday guests. Huge heroes. Let up the stakes. If you had to have a video game beastie as a pet living in your house and depending on you for nutrients, what would it be? That makes it sound like we're going to feed it from our own bodies, but anyway, I'll carry on. For the sake of argument, yes, you would have to keep it alive unless it's a ghost of some sort. No, you can't have Rio squirting Mario come over and feed it. That's from Balladeer. Yeah, I thought... um... Like I just have an Eevee from Pokemon. They're pretty cute, not too belligerent as Pokemon Go. What like, kind of type um, is that? What does it do? Uh, it's like a normal type. It's just a little like oh, dog fox thing. Um, but don't put a like a firestone on it, or it will turn into Flareon and then set fire to shit. So oh. that's like the what I'd have to avoid. You know what I mean? Um, oh, I just didn't want to pick something like a Squirtle because I think that would get out of hand quickly. Like in the oh, yeah. in the anime. He puts on a pair of sunglasses. He's a right. He's a right little bell end, and I don't want. <laughs> I don't want that. So Evie feels pretty inoffensive to me. Okay. Well, would would what you about keep you, it in the ball? Um, Ever, or are you just letting it free roam constantly? Do you have to feed it if it's in the ball? Like, do you have to let it out and go like, oh yeah, eat your dinner, and then does it then take a shit in the ball? I've got no idea how that works, but um, no, I probably really let it go out. Into it, funnily enough, that's not the, kind <laughs> of the, the, the deep lore of of Pokemon shit management. I don't think's been covered in the games. No, it's like, well, we have a Pokemon that's a fucking toaster, but we won't tell you if they take a dump or not. And it's like, come on, lads. I bet they, anyway. if you ask them, Nintendo would be, say, like, they just don't have bums or something because they're, they're cute. Yeah, fine. So, yeah, I, I, w- I would let out the ball. Um, if I didn't have to clean <laughs> that's up. That's very after. big of you. <laughs> yeah, cheers. Maybe sometimes if I need to get some work done, I'd be like, yeah, back in the ball. But, yeah, um, like you when you put your cats away. Is that a thing you do? I don't know. But yeah, put the cats um, in the we put the cats in the kitchen at night, um, or the cage. Sometimes on holiday. Yeah, just to stop them from murdering local wildlife. So yeah. yeah. Um, what what's uh, what about you, Matthew? Um, I was thinking of that little chocobo chick from Final Fantasy Thirteen. That's quite cute. Oh, the one that lives in that dude's hair. Yeah, yeah. That's it's tiny. I I find grown chocobos kind of unpleasant like they look like chicken i'm not you know i don't find chickens particularly cute i don't like grown chocobos but a little one is kind of cute it's very very small very cute i think that would easily like that would impress people it seems very comfortable living in someone's hair i've got i've got my hair i haven't got big hair like that guy but i've got enough hair for it to kind of have somewhere to kind of live I think you've got jump, jumpers where it could live in the pockets quite handily as well. Yeah, I think yeah. that'd be cute. The other one I was thinking about was like a rock pick then, just because <laughs> it's cause it doesn't really move. It would just sort of sit on the mantelpiece with its cute little eyes. I don't think you have to feed it because it's a rock. Um, Is this the same one you took on holiday with you in that, that one time? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's a pick, man. I, I can't remember what types I bought with me on to America. Uh, I mean, this one I wouldn't take. You know, this one's my pet. I'm emotionally attached to it, and I don't want to take it through freaking homeland security whatever they're called and then you know treat it bad so what matthew why must our listeners insist on turning us into beleaguered children's presenters do you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> that's what a lot yeah, of these questions I, like, are yeah I, yeah 
like I, the truth is like i don't really want my life to be full of like weird cartoon mascots yeah you know, critters. i don't, want, I don't want any critters i'm like i think you'd end up like bob hoskins in who framed roger rabbit where he's <laughs> just so sick of being surrounded by all that animated shit the whole time where he yeah. just cannot deal with it anymore and it's it's like you know made him have a bit of a breakdown i think we'd be like that <laughs> yeah very good um okay next one matthew um dear samuel and matthew oh no it's a sunny day and you step out of your house for a tasty jc's kitchen lunch but to your horror you see their tent has been absorbed by a giant katamari rolling toward your house <laughs> yep. you have time to grab one video game related item or memorabilia before your house is absorbed what is it also what would be the worst thing to be stuck next to if you got absorbed into the katamari fucking hell love the show keep making friday be back back page pod day that's from conky donka so for this, Matthew, I thought, I don't know, I don't really have much rare stuff, but I suppose I should take my copy of um, Paper Mario, The Thousand Year Door, since I spent too much money on it. Um, that'd be a good like item to preserve. But mm. yeah, otherwise, being stuck next to, I don't know, like a stinky animal. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> just like, just... dog shit right next to your face. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, just like, if you had to dog smell shit. dog shit for the rest of your life. A, a British river that is full of shit, because that's what the Tories do now. They just pump shit into the river. So a shit river. That would be bad. Um, thoughts, Matthew? What, what, what's your answer to this one? <laughs> I thought that it was it. Yes, I agree. A shit river would be bad. Um, <laughs> um, like, I've got a couple of signed games. I've got my uh, Dragon Quest V Famicom signed by uh, Yuji Horii. That's that's pretty good. Like, all my Smash Brother, Smash Brothers Brawl signed by Sakurai. That's that's pretty good. Um it's true. I'd probably actually dump it. I'd probably take my leaving cover from Endgamer just because that's got big sentimental value to me. Mm, that's a good answer. Yeah. It's the only thing that exists and it's like about my career. And it means like even because presumably if I'm in the ball, the podcast is over. Um, <laughs> but I have got that there with me to constantly like talk about it to other people in the ball. So like a bit of the podcast would live on. I'd be able to say like, see that line there, that references this hilarious thing that like greener did once uh, which yeah. in, a, in in a roundabout way would make me the worst thing to be next to in the katamari <laughs> board it's unbearable man talking about the past um, <laughs> weird man reliving former glories without with a convenient visual aid <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um, the podcast presumably would still exist on a google drive somewhere as well so that's good i've got backups you know what i mean that'd be fine um, I mean, there's so many things I wouldn't want my head to be next. Like any any food, cause it would go off. Like it would just yeah. be awful. Or if it was out of reach, like imagine, like just beyond the le- the, the, the the reach of your tongue, there was like a delicious JC's Kitchen bubble and a squeak. Yeah, that'd be yeah. Again though, I don't think he would have been there that day, so it's fine. <laughs> like the would have rolled up an empty tent and it'd be fine. Um, uh, Okay, good. Um, Matthew, let's just do the next two, then we can save the others okay. for a future episode. So, should I read out this next one? Yeah. This one's aimed at Matthew primarily. Shag, marry, kill, crash, Spyro, Sly Raccoon from Ryan Plugs. People just really want to hear you yeah, dunk on uh, Very easy. Uh, I'd kill myself. Next. <laughs> That's good. I don't want you having sex with any of those. No, That's, I'd kill myself, yeah. and I'd do it in front of Crash Bandicoot to haunt him forever. Okay, good. Well, we end with... I think a great question, Matthew. Um, do you want to read this next one? Hello to the kings of portable gaming. I don't really get that. Portable. 
podcast. Nah, anyway, no idea. D- yeah. David Fincher has decided to revisit his classic Seven and remake it for digital natives. To appeal to Gen Z, the victims will now be subjected to video games representing each of the seven deadly sins. Which game would you pitch for each of the sins? They are pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, and sloth. That's from personal idea. Ooh, good question. Now, I genuinely think that Animal Crossing covers all of those except for lust. Like, well, Animal Crossing's then. pretty good. What's that? <laughs> even then. <laughs> well, you know, we talked about um, Isabella before. Like, uh, you know, that's maybe yeah. maybe there's some tension there between your character. Given and, enough and, uh, time. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, close professional relationship, etc. Um, I have a, I have an answer for each of these, Matthew. Do you? I do also, yeah. Okay, cool. Let's um, you go through your list first. Well, a second, we'll go. Let's go through them in pair. Let's do them both. So, All right, sure. So, pride, pride first, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Your well, your pride? pride. I did pick Animal Crossing. Right, right. You know, recently being house proud. Um, you know, showing off like basically any. I was thinking of games with, like camera photo modes. People who, like show off their stuff online a lot. Like that's that's a kind of terrible pride. So animal, yeah, an Animal Crossing game, I think, is that. Yeah, I was for me. I picked Apex Legends. I took so much pride in my kill death ratio in um, during the pandemic oh, times, nice. which I almost got to one um, from like zero point eight or whatever. And I was chasing it and chasing it and chasing it, and just losing tens of hours doing it. And I thought that's a good example of like pride eating away at you, isn't it? So oh. that's good. As good as um, you know the, the classic uh, David Fincher film Seven, arguably not, but still. So it's, is this uh, so? Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt bust open the door, and they just find a guy playing Animal Crossing or Apex Legends. That's what happens in this film. It's like it's less good, isn't it? It's They're like, not dead, you know, right? Yeah, I, well, I don't know. That's TBC, really. Is Kevin Spacey still in it? I feel like he wouldn't make the cut these days. Oh but, you no, know. especially not a Gen Z. They're really like clued into this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what about Greed, Matthew? What greed. You got greed? Uh, new Super Mario Brothers 2, uh, which oh, yeah? is the Mario game with the objective to collect one million coins. It's right. the greedy Mario. Golden Mario. He runs around, coins spray out of him. It's pure That's greed. That's good. That's a good answer. I like that. Um, I picked Civilization Revolution, a game where I would break it every single time by building too many banks and... Um, <laughs> overruling the entire world with capitalism by using it to build constant tanks that I sent towards my enemies. So that's the game I think of as like where I was super greedy every time. I refused oh. to play it in any other way and thought, what a piece of shit I am. But yeah. The problem here um, is you've based all these on your actual sins where uh, I've just sort of done theoretical sins. Yeah, but the thing is, Matthew, I'm a bad person. I think you're a good person. And that's like the um, fun... That's what, that's what differentiates us on this podcast, I think, ultimately. So... <laughs> yeah, I've done lots of bad things in computer games. So, um, what you got for wrath? I'm wrath. I mean, because I, I was really lazy, I just wrote Asura's wrath. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer, though. Because I was like, I well, like it's that. got the word in the title. It's sort of self-explanatory. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I should have gone with like, is it Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous? That would have been good. <laughs> um, that's good. I went with Hotline Miami too. Ooh, um, yeah. Got a bit too into burning some dudes alive with a flamethrower, which I discussed in a previous episode. Like that's <laughs> that felt a bit of a lot of wrath going on there. I thought wrath against who? I don't really know, but just 
you know, just dudes. Sat in the just by dudes. Some dudes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. What you got for envy? Your big envy head. Envy. Oh, I'm incredible. I'm jealous of everyone. I like. I. I, I can't give any real examples because it's just too tragic to see how envious I actually am of people. Um, <laughs> so for this one, for the games, I've actually gone for dreams, which is a game about seeing how much more talented everyone else is at dreams than you. Yeah, that's good. That's a good answer. Uh, I picked uh, Trespasser Jurassic Park, of course. <laughs> um, just, you know, should have picked it for my draft, didn't. So now it's like, you know, envy eats away at me, man. It's tough. Mm. Um, I've got a big what... dose of that coming off this last one, I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, okay, what we you got for lust? Uh, <laughs> Dead or Alive Extreme Beach Volleyball. <laughs> yep, very good. Um, problematically horny, that's what you want for lust, isn't it? So that's... You yeah, know, it's good. not performatively horny. It's outright horny. It's yeah. legit horny, and I've got more respect for that. Yeah, along similar lines, I've picked uh, Catherine. Um, <laughs> I wrote Catherine or Dead or Alive Extreme Beach Volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Two pro- perfect problematically horny picks there. Yeah. Um, we got for Gluttony. Uh, the recent release of Kirby's Dream Buffet. Oh, that's a good one. Which is all um, about force-feeding Kirby cakes on a race um, to make the fattest... You win if you make the fattest Kirby, <laughs> which um, I think... Isn't that how they make foie gras? Um, like, force-feeding geese. It's a bit yeah. like that, but for Kirby, it's it's got a sinister edge to it, that game. It's also basically what happens in Seven, right? He force-feeds that guy till he's, like, incredibly fat and then, like, dies of eating. Yeah, like, but he it's... doesn't, like, weigh him on a comedy scale, which explodes. <laughs> also, I think Kirby just, like, wins more cakes for being the fattest. Yeah, uh... plus, plus he can, like, he's got the power to absorb that if he wants to. It's not like he's sort of, like, going to have serious intestinal issues afterwards. He can just, like, you just press down and then it's just gone and it's oh, fine. Oh, yeah, yeah. He can just, or he can just exhale it as, like, a big, beautiful star. If I exhale all the stuff I've eaten in the day, it's just a fucking nightmare to watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I picked um, the game, which you would never call a game this now, uh, Fat Princess. Um <laughs> Like actually, like it's quite surprising that even then they called it that. And I think that's a game where you basically just have to feed, um, you feed, you have to feed like cake to a, a princess to uh, stop her from being carried around by these monsters or something. It's quite, quite yeah. a strange old PS3 thing, but c- classic cursed PS3 artifact, you know, of which you know we love discussing on this podcast. So yeah, a bit problematic in retrospect, but um, yeah, fat princess seems good for gluttony. What have they got for sloth? Oh, I was so lazy. I didn't even name one. I just wrote, surely any god game where you order other people to do your bidding. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, that is phoned in, but I still respect it. Um, <laughs> Which is go, ironic for this particular category. <laughs> yeah, I struggle with this one too, really, because it's not really a game where the game is like do nothing. You know what I mean? Like it's just be lazy. Um, I just, I just picked the. I'd go catch a Snorlax in Pokemon Blue. That was the oh, best I could yeah. do. Really, that's that's, that's, Should... that's f- you've put far more thought into that, and clearly respect the listeners more than I do. <laughs> I we should have ended with lust. Probably a good game of some kind. We should have end, ended with lust. We had good answers for lust. Um, yeah. Or ended on a serious wrath. That would have been a great punchline. But what can you do? So Matthew, we've done it now. That's the uh, that is the episode. We had a few more questions, but as ever, we'll just push them back to another one. Um, we will always get around to them when we do a, what we've been playing each month. So thank you so much for sending them in. If you want to share questions with us, backpagegames at gmail.com or join the Discord. Go to um, Backpage Pod on Twitter. You'll find a link to the Discord there. You can join our little community of uh, almost 500 people now. So um, mm. that's cool. But uh, Matthew, where can people find you on social media? Uh, at Mr. Basil underscore pesto. 
I'm Samuel Dobby Roberts. See you very soon for some Splatoon 3 and new Nintendo series chat. Goodbye. Goodbye.